Frank Sal's our Ron Comics. Yes, how are you? How was your day today? It was very good. We talked to a lot of people. We introduced the podcast to many, many people. Made a lot of contacts. Had some friends, some laughs, some tears. It was wonderful all in all. And you made the announcement that Chris Neesman will no longer be the voice of Ron Comics. Is this correct? Chris Neesman is no longer. We're, we're bringing Carmine Infantino in as an exclusive podcaster contract. He is going to be the new voice of Ron Comics. I can't wait. It's going it's to really, really improve the quality of the show. We're, we're going to be calling. We're going to change the name of the, the show. To uh, to the C- no C- CST the the Carmine Sal and Tom show and uh, and it's going to be all Golden Age all the time and uh, I'm I'm just there to get lunch for Carmine when he needs it. Yeah, I bet the numbers are really jump when that happens. Yeah, well, I think I think it'll, it'll really improve things. You know, we've been we've been held back a bit from not having a very you know, mature perspective, and that's what we're really looking for out of Carmine. We're hoping for that maturity, that wisdom that comes with with the age and, and experience that he has, and it's it's something we've really been lacking before. And and now, you know, everyone can can just hope to uh, to tune in, and and hopefully, you know, hopefully nothing would happen to Carmine before we get our first show out. But uh, hey, you Sal, know, what's, what's going on, man? Hey, and and your name your name is Hey, hey Vance. It's me. It's Chris. What's going on, man? The world and its double is how we styled this. Uh, this is simply a, a high visibility, flashy way of reminding people whose eyes fall upon that text that uh, the world has a double. The world is not entirely or completely what it seems to be. Chaos is beautiful. Now many times we are afraid because we want order. We can't deal with the confusion and the disorder. We want form. We want rules. Yes, throughout human history there have been people, religious leaders, political leaders, who will give you order. They'll give you rules and commandments. But chaos is basically good. Relax, surf the ways of chaos, and learn how to redesign your own realities. And I was thinking how the world should have cried On the day Jack Kirby died I wondered if I'm I'll keep put in place of, I'm sure you've heard this word, a paradigm. And then what fits within the cultural paradigm is uh, accentuated. Uh, stress. And what doesn't fit inside the cultural paradigm is denied, marginalized, argued against. The world is what it appears to be. Now, this on the face of it is a tremendously naive position. Can the future affect the present? Can the present affect the past? Well, according to Bell's theorem, it can. According to Bell's theorem, everything in the universe affects everything else every which way in space-time. So therefore, what I am doing right now, this very moment, is affecting everything back to the Big Bang.
what it says is, which is highly improbable. Everybody, let's get your clicks on. This is Stan Lee speaking. Hey, who made you a disc jockey, lady? Well, well, Jolly Jack Kirby. By the way, Jack, the readers have been complaining about Sue's hairdo again. What am I supposed to do? Be a hairdresser? Next time I'll draw her bald-headed. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bullpen Bulletins Podcast, a celebration of all things Marvel. I'm Vince B. I'm David Price. And lo and behold, we have a guest in the studio with us tonight, that crazy dude from Chicago Way, Mr. Dave Wachter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hi, Dave. You'll have to tell them the story about that. Well, this is the big New York City Comic Con wrap-up episode complete with interviews from a couple of big names and uh, uh, assorted banter back and forth between a lot of guys who listen to the show regularly will know. But before we do all that, we have an interview, this time with Paul Cornell, writer of Wisdom from the Marvel Max imprint. Really good series, really interesting gentleman. And he was a heck of a lot of fun, and that'll be coming up very soon. But let's see what's going on with Mr. Dave Wachter before we do all that. Who's that? That's you, sir. Never how's heard this, of him. How's Scar Tissue number 5 coming? It's, um, I'm like one page away. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, yeah, I've been working on it. It's going to be an extra long issue for everybody to uh, finish out the story. You're just jumping on that big event bandwagon, how all the uh, final issues all have to have some extra pages. It is. People, we're going to split the internet in half with this one. <laughs> no, it's going to be, no, it's going to be, you know, it's going to wrap up the storyline and it's going to be good. I think people are going to really like it. Um, the six or seven people who, 
you know, are still reading this book. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be doing the trade right, actually, right after I'm finished up with this. Then I've got to work on the new cover art that I'm doing for the trade and all that kind of stuff. And and then we're going to be uh, uh, submitting it around the publishers, see if anybody wants to print it up for us, which would cool. be nice this time around. And, cool. Uh, you know, if they do, I'll be really happy. If not, I'll just be be Dave. Know, I'll go out drinking or something. <laughs> Where can people uh, find out about scar tissue? Uh, well, they can go to the scar tissue website. Ooh. That's at scartissue-comic.com. And uh, you can order it there, too. Oh, and I just found out I was on the Comic Comic Express site, Comic Express, which is the people who print us up and who also uh, distribute our book online. And we are the number one ranked superhero comic that's great so congratulations it doesn't really mean anything but <laughs> but it is but it is a superhero comic right uh yeah it is a superhero comic okay. thanks for asking no problem <laughs> it's you know it's a it's a it's our own take on superhero comics uh and um instead of just following a superhero it's more of an event that takes place within a superhero world and it's really well done i guess yeah. Well, the writing's good, but the art just sucks. Oh, no. <laughs> I heard The Thing is in it. Is that true? The Thing? <laughs> the Thing by Arthur Adams? Yeah, sure, he's in it. What the well, heck? For those of you who this don't know... Dave for Dan Slott. <laughs> <laughs> Dave draws a mean thing. Uh, no, among he's a, a nice thing. He's a good thing. <laughs> He draws a very accomplished thing. How about that? It, all of his drawings are great, but he has this this knack for, for drawing Ben Grimm that I, I don't know. It's just there's a special little Dave magic in the thing drawings <laughs> that I that I like a lot. Well, thank okay, you. I'm yeah, glad you like it. I do like it. I love it. He I'm loves your you thing, like man. Thing. I yeah. would eat it. I would eat it if I could. Well, this is taking a different turn than I expected. <laughs> no, right. you've been waiting for it to take this turn. <laughs> you've been counting on it. Oh, baby. So let's hear from Paul Cornell, and we'll be back after the interview with our memories of the New York Comic Con for 2007. <laughs> Our next guest is the amazingly prolific writer of a number of Doctor Who novels and teleplays, the creator of the Doctor Who spin-off character Bernice Summerfield, writer for a number of BBC television dramas, and is currently putting Pete Wisdom through his paces in the pages of Wisdom for Marvel's Max imprint. Please welcome Paul Cornell. Oh, hi. It's good to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me on. Let's start off with... How did your love for science fiction and the strange begin? Oh, when I was a kid, um, my um, my brother, who was much, much older than me, um, had many boxes in the attic full of what turned out to be um, ancient science fiction magazines like Analog from the 1960s and uh, Astounding and um, old hardcover SF novels. And uh, it was just such a, a strange treasure trove, I just got instantly into it. And, um, you know, I was always a Doctor Who fan. That is to say, as soon as I got over my terrible, terrible playground fear of it. Because the kids in the playground described it as such a terrifying show that it took me years, literally, as a kind of adult rite of passage to, you know, start watching it. Mm -hmm. And once I had, you know, there's your, uh, 
your road to Damascus experience, you know, um, the thing that you really, you know, kind of took an effort to watch, I instantly became a fan of. So let's dispense with the obligatory Doctor Who question. Who's your favorite Doctor? Oh, of course, um, the current incumbent, David Tennant, though I'm, I'm pretty fond of Chris as well. Um, if we're talking ancient Who, uh, it'd be a toss-up between Peter Davison and Sylvester McCoy. Hmm. I would have to say my favorite doctor is the one I was introduced first, which would be John Pertwee. Oh, now you see, because that's that's interesting. Because most American guys would say would say Tom Baker. We had a local PBS station that picked up the show, and Pertwee was the first one I encountered, and he just mesmerized me. I fell in love with the show, and I've been a fan of ever since. He's he sort of Austin Powers before his time, isn't he? Oh, that's a right. That's a very good comparison. Well, you know, he's uh, kind of foppy. Uh, who's your favorite companion? Oh, um, now I can't say Freema, can I? Um, <laughs> I, 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 I was uh, hugely, uh, hugely impressed with what Billy did in that role. Um, you know, took herself right into the top layer of stardom, just nailed the drama every time. You know, did tremendous things in my episode as well. I was I was well impressed with her. I was a, a very big fan of Mary Tam and Romana, but that's, that's very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> but Billy Piper has totally eclipsed her in my mind. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, going back into the old show, um, Lala Ward. You know, just tremendously the second Romana. Yes. Um, that very British Britishness. Um, and, and clearly, clearly having it away with the Doctor behind the scenes. It, it's just a fantastic show, and uh, it's amazing how it has seeped into the American consciousness. It's lovely when you see things like Tom Baker on The Simpsons. And, uh, I, I think the new show on sci-fi, we're starting to see entirely different fandoms now. I was at um, the Gallifrey Convention in Los Angeles just recently, and there were teenage girls. Um, who were just excitedly live journaling about um, being at a Doctor Who convention. This didn't used to happen when I was growing up. You know, we never saw a girl. There were, you could go to three different conventions and no girls back to back or front to front. <laughs> it's a strange new world. It is. I a lovely one. Uh, the TARDIS pretty much encapsulates the whole show for me. How it's unobtrusive and un unassuming. It's, it's something you would never consider to be out of the ordinary. But as soon as the door opens this whole new world opens up for you and it's it's strange and mystifying and the TARDIS is the the one symbol that I uh, associate with the the mystique of the show well absolutely and it's a kind of British design classic you know the BBC owns that um, the shape of the TARDIS now the, the, the Metropolitan Police um, no longer make them so they gave up on the copyright and the BBC assumed it oh it, it, excellent it, it's kind of like uh, you know in Narnia the wardrobe having the wardrobe move around I, I think there's um, there's some of that in the mix definitely no I'd run out of erudite thought there and I was just running on empty <laughs> now on your blog page which is entitled Paul Cornell's House of Awkwardness it's a brilliant title you list 40 in subjects as one of your interests and oh, we yeah. we are kindred spirits my friend I, ah. I love that stuff my, uh, my wife just it, it has to put up with me talking about Bigfoot all the time <laughs> <laughs> Mine as well. Uh, and now there's subjects that fit well within the worldview of the character of Pete Wisdom and would, uh, right, would certainly be an asset to the writer of Same. How did you land the job writing the six-issue Wisdom Limited series? 
Um, well, Mark Miller had seen my um, episode, first episode of Doctor Who, Father's Day, and um, he uh, got in touch with me through the editors of SFX magazine, who we both knew, mm-hmm. and asked me if I'd like him to put me in touch with Marvel. And I did. I met up with um, uh, Nick Lowe. Um, I say met up, I still haven't met him. Um, and, um, you know, he had this idea for a Pete Wisdom miniseries and um, chucked it at me. I was so pleased because I've always loved Pete. Um, when I got back into comics, um, I, d- I did, I think, what a lot of people do. I used to read superhero comics, and then in college I moved on to Vertigo. And then when certain Vertigo titles I really liked came to a natural end, I kind of drifted away from Vertigo and stopped buying comics altogether. And then I got back into superhero comics because my wife and I went to see the X-Men movie when we were courting, and she said, do you have any of those comics? And I was kind of like, do I have any of those comics? And uh, so I got um, a big case of them out, old Claremont and Byrne X-Men. And um, she started asking, well, can we buy new ones somewhere? So, you know, I started buying superhero comics again. And these days I kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a superhero guy. Um, I'm gradually catching on to this kind of... Um, uh, slightly cooler than superheroes comics like Ex Machina and Strangers in Paradise and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, kind of because I feel I ought to you know, there's obviously a burgeoning world of um, growth out there but I'm still very much a superhero guy and one of the first titles I bought in that phase to get back to the point uh, was Pride and Wisdom and um, really really loved the writing and loved the character of Pete Wisdom who'd appeared since you know I gave up on superhero comics and loved the relationship with Kitty Pride, and you know I just went from there with him really. Uh, I think the scene um, in Excalibur, where a, a mutant uh, kind of interrogator um, dives into Pete's mind and is going to break him and find out all his secrets, and it's a kind of cliched scene we've seen so many times before. But the reversal was absolutely brand new. Um, Warren Ellis, um, that. Um, uh, the secrets he finds are so disturbing and the interior of Pete's mind is so terrifying that the interrogator boggles and shuts down and Pete can escape. I love that, I love that. It sums up the character. I've, I've just been going on and on now, haven't I? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you're certainly welcome to do that. And the the cycle you describe is not uncommon yeah. with comic comic book fans. They seem to naturally start out as youngsters with superhero books and then gravitate towards the more mature works and then somehow find themselves back to superheroes. I've done it myself. Yeah. Well, it's, it's that point in our lives, isn't it, where we're not concerned about being adults anymore. We're obviously adults. You know, the receding hairlines of the beard, I'll tell you that. You, we don't have to necessarily read adult comics to be seen as adults. Whereas, you know, when you're a teenager, you've got to read. Uh, you, you can't have a superhero comic in your hands. It's not cool. It's not cool. <laughs> now, Wisdom is not your first comic book work. Can you tell us a bit about your others? Well, yeah, back back in the day, um, I did um, three strips for the um, 2000 AD magazine. Um, a couple of your Let's Do Judges Out of Judge Dredd's World in different situations, one of which was um, time-traveling judges back in Jacobi in London called Death Watch, and one, one of them was um, uh, Pan-African judges, judges on the African belt. Mm-hmm. Um, and... They were okay, um, but the, sh- the um, strip I'm really proud of was called Extinct, all in capital letters in text speak, um, which um, was drawn by Disraeli, um, who 
whose art I'm completely in awe of, a man can draw anything, uh, which is about, um, because I thought I'd, I'd do something entirely different that 2000 AD had never done before, um, dinosaurs with automatic weapons. It, it's about their tenth dinosaurs with automatic weapons strip, you know, <laughs> but I think in the league table of dinosaurs with automatic weapons, we did okay. And um, it's about... Um, uh, these guys are genetic creations of the last few remnants of mankind. There's about a hundred humans left on the planet, and uh, they still rule everything through, you know, kind of genetically engineered animals and stuff. Uh, but uh, these guys decide, why don't we just wipe out all the humans? And um, which is, you know, your uh, your nihilistic 2000 AD idea. But I kind of ran with it, and I'm very, very pleased by the art. It's it's out now as we speak in the form of um, a single volume from Rebellion in a lovely hardcover. And, um, ooh, I've I'm, I'm very rarely been as satisfied with something as with that. Disraeli's an amazingly talented illustrator. Oh, absolutely. We, we've got, um, okay, two things that really, really taxed him in this series. Um, uh, there's a, a scene of um, climatic revelation where um, our hero, Rex, the Tyrannosaur, has this kind of aneurysm and has a vision and I said let's do this as a stained glass window so it's a whole page and oh there's all sorts of rubbish on there there's uh, about five layers and he manages to pull it off and make it comprehensible um, I, I think this is what I'm working towards in my in my comic writing comprehensibility I may get there one day I'm kind of I'm about halfway towards comprehensible at the moment <laughs> and uh, there's, a, there's a lot of readers out there going, yeah, sure, he's telling the truth there. Anyway, um, and um, there's also the Dinosaur Messiah, um, who is a small, um, intelligent, raptor little like dinosaur um, that is the Messiah. And so what I'm saying to the Israeli here is, could you draw a dinosaur that looks a bit like Jesus? And, and he did it. There it is. It's fantastic. I, you could. You, I think people should go up to him at conventions and say, "Could you draw and pull out something incredible and difficult for him to try?" He'll hate me to saying that. <laughs> and that's currently available. Yeah, um, it's XTNCT extinct because uh, one of my hero dinosaurs talks like that in text message, which enabled me to swear more harshly than anybody ever has in 2018. <laughs> um, it's out in a, a one-volume um, book from uh, Rebellion. Excellent. I'll keep an eye out for that. Let's jump into wisdom. Mm. I'm having such a good time. I am as well. The first two issues were brilliant, and I think the third comes out today. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. The... Um, Shang Chai um, guest star um, issue. We're on a monthly schedule from here on in, and I'm proud to say as well. The art has been incredibly complex, just gorgeous stuff from. Oh, absolutely. Trev. Yes. Um, and another man who can draw anything you ask of him. Um, I've just loved it. I love how British it all looks. Um, Wiltshire in issue two, just looking like Wiltshire. Mm -hmm. And. Um, no, he, we're, we, he doesn't do any more of the series. The wonderfully talented Manuel Garcia um, was originally um, not on the series and now is, and is finishing it up. Um, but I'm, I'm very pleased of, from what I've seen from Manuel. Um, issue 3 begins with, um, uh, here is a, the most Welsh pub you have ever seen, full of Welsh memorabilia. It's packed with very Welsh gangsters. Altogether, this is the most Welsh picture you've ever seen, which, for an artist who's living in Barcelona, 
bit of a stretch, I felt. But he nailed it, absolutely. It's The whole issue is set in Cardiff, and residents of Cardiff will see familiar streets and see familiar Welsh gangsters, and if they are familiar with Welsh gangsters, and see the interior of very familiar Welsh pubs. I, I'm boggled. <laughs> well, you're quite descriptive in your speech, and I'm assuming your writing as well. Did you find it a bit difficult to go from writing novels and teleplays to instructing a comic book artist on how to convey your words? Oh, yeah, they are all such different media. Um, in a novel, you've got complete freedom to play with time to do everything. And it's still my favorite medium. But uh, I've, I've learned over the years how to write television, just. And um, the descriptions in there are very, very... Um, Oh, how to put it? They're very um, pared down, very sparse, but they also have emotional content. Um, and uh, in comics, you can go on a bit more. Nobody really minds you going on a bit. You're not wasting um, uh, script time as you are in a, a TV script because it ruins the timing if you go on and on too much. Mm. Um, and you can you can provide the artist with a bit of an atmosphere. But I'm learning to um, pare down and pare down as I go. I remember um, seeing a script for some um, John Wagner um, uh, Judge Dread comics, and his um, panel descriptions were just Dread with bike, Dread fires gun, and I loved that—the fact that he's got to know his artists so well, and they know what they're drawing so well that you know he doesn't have to bother with anything else. Um, uh, that's genius. But um, no, I'm I'm getting um, less and less as we go on, and learning what's important. The first issue of Wisdom, um, <laughs> my my. my um, scene descriptions just went on and on and on. <laughs> uh, Manuel doesn't have to put up with quite as much of that now. You almost have to be your own editor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although uh, one of the joys of this has been working with Nick Lowe. He's, he's gorgeous. I, when I first started working with Marvel I assumed that they would be all drawn by Jack Kirby. That they would all be square-headed and be chomping on huge cigars. And they would be kind of New York down the phone at me going... I, I, I won't trouble you with my with my New York accent. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of yelling at me in a Sergeant Fury way. But they've all been just really laid back and gentle and calm, and it's a very, very lovely editorial process. And Nick Lowe is really, really good. We got to the point the other day where we were um, talking about where to place an individual comma in a sentence. And I love working with people that give a damn. You know? I mean, mm -hmm. that's that's what you're after. Um, like on Doctor Who, all the craftspeople who really want to know they've done tiny things right. And um, I was exploring a set the other day they'd built for my two-parter. I can call it human nature now. They released that information today, thank goodness. And I was um, looking around this set and the tiny little details that the prop person has put in there and the design person has put in there, which will probably never be seen on screen, but they want it to be right. And it's the same with, with Nick. Um, you know, we. I love the fact that there are several stages in the production of a comic, script-wise. That um, you get several different chances to rewrite your dialogue. Um, when you first see the artwork, when you do the lettering draft, you know it's um, it's a very there's a great fine tuning there, and Nick really really helps with that. Uh, I. I I'm, he's the only comic editor from the states I've ever worked with, but he's the best. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I'm just really pleased. I'm having a, a really good time. Well, you can be thankful that you weren't working on Civil War. 
because it would not be so laid back of an atmosphere. I'm, I'm very lucky um, to be off doing my own thing there, and so I can play with stuff that you know isn't the subject of vast attention. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that Marvel would have preferred it if it was the subject of slightly more attention. But um, nevertheless, I love having my little corner, and um, you know, it's given me a great deal of freedom. I, I I would love to be involved in something as vast as Civil War, but you know, there are demands. You know, there's a balance to be struck there. Now here's a comic book podcast that's both informative and entertaining. Just another fanboy. Join your host, Stephen, as he brings you weekly comic book news, his comic book picks of the week, and anything else that makes his little fanboy heart flutter like the wings of a tiny birdie. I don't know about the rest of you, but when I read the issue with the reveal that Ronan was Echo, I could actually hear the sound, wah, wah, wah. Steve Wacker has not, to the best of my knowledge, ever taken a bath in jello with wicker mannequins dressed like the flying monkeys from the Wizard of Oz. Listener's feedback. Now knock it off already. What? You know darn well you ain't got no listener's feedback this week. Oh. Ain't nobody written in. Ain't nobody called the voice line. Come on. So I don't want to hear any of this sad, weepy, the fat man, oh. sad, blippity, bloppity, bloopity. If you are not reading Daredevil, you are a fool. A fool, I tell you. Read it. Go back. Get the trades. Cut out all the pictures. Bathe in them. All right, I'm back. How'd it go without me? What the heck? Oh, man, I think I just shot Steven in the face. What'd you go and do that for? Well, I didn't mean to do it. So if you like comics, movies, DVDs, TV, crotchety old men, rabbit badgers, and a good laugh, you'll enjoy Just Another Fanboy. Try it out at www.justanotherfanboy.com. What do you reckon the sexuality of Blackjack Tar is? I mean, kind of, because in the comics from the 70s, okay, so he's this bodybuilder guy, he's very English, he's got the mustache, he's got the Freddie Mercury hair pushed back, he's kind of the original clone. And nobody ever mentions it all the way through the original run of Master of Kung Fu. But it's his mate, Clive Reston, who's trying to get it on with Shang Chi's girl. Never Jack. You know, anyway, we, we don't explore that in wisdom. Maybe if, if I ever get a second series. <laughs> Or if they ever let me play with the characters from Master of Kung Fu again, which is unlikely. Well, you never know. Especially now I said that. Now, you've made MI-13, which I'm assuming is an evolved version of Wisdom's previous employer. Uh, we, we, get it, we get into that. We, we do that top to bottom. Um, ah. Organizational structure within the Marvel Universe version of the British Intelligence Services. It was point one on my list of things to do. <laughs> so, Seriously, so we do it. You examine the Black Air connection. Yeah, it's... Um, I'm, actually, I'm not sure Black Air is mentioned. It's what happened to turn the WHO, the Weird Happenings Organization, mm -hmm. into MI-13. Okay. We get, there in, we get there in five and six. Excellent. Al Alistair Stewart is in full. I'd like to talk about your thoughts behind the introduction of these new and intriguing characters. 
uh, like Tink and John the Skrull, and especially Maureen Raven. Mm-hmm. Maureen Raven and her little son, Jonathan. I have to say, Tink is my favorite of the lot. Oh, cool. I, I find her so refreshing. Her... <laughs> just dispenses with any kind of pretense and just blows anything away <laughs> that's that that's in her path that's that's brilliant she pretty much keeps on doing that all the way through the rest of the miniseries um it's 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 a joy to write her really and john the skrull who uh, skrulls are no uh strangers to the marvel universe but this one has has adopted quite he 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 likes to go around in the form of John Lennon <laughs> and speak like John Lennon. This is just entirely because I'm an enormous Beatles fan. And uh, one of my original pitches to Marvel was um, the Fab Four meet the Fantastic Four. That back in the 1960s they would have hung out together. And you know, uh, <laughs> I, I had um, Paul McCartney making moves on Sue Storm before she was married to <laughs> to Reed and all that, you know. And I thought, what a, what a splendid special. But it was pointed out to me that there were two major problems there. One, that the the Beatles are actually real people, and uh, the, the licensing required for this might have taken the rest of my life to arrange. And um, two, that this would mean that the Fantastic Four were about in the 1960s, which is complicated Marvel time-wise now. Mm, so don't, don't get me started on the subject of timing comics. <laughs> so the problem was solved by making him a scroll. And uh, there are three other scroll beetles out there. I love the way you tied in the old Fantastic Four issue where Reed hypnotizes the scrolls into thinking that they were cows. <laughs> it's it's such a favorite, isn't it? It's become a touchstone in recent years. <laughs> um, well, with Scroll Kill Crew and. Uh, there are other references. It's just such a mad idea on Stan's part. I, d- I don't think he ever went anywhere like that again. And that sequence in the second issue is such a shock when you get to it. Uh, it it's You're reading a fairly normal comic book, and all of a sudden you're thrown into help. Well, I, I think some of that is because I still haven't got my um, transitions together, and my storytelling is a little choppy still. Um, I think with issue three my storytelling kind of crystallizes and Nick stops hitting me over the head with the slipper and we're, we're kind of there, you know, I, I can write comics now, hopefully. Right. But, um, but no, the, the sudden jarring effect was to some degree deliberate. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just really wanted to do, especially with Trev's art, which draws them really well, a series of pastiches of the Beatles' history in scroll form. And I love the fact that they were competing with other British invasion scroll groups and... Um, <laughs> They broke up because. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I'm off on a pilgrimage with the dread dorm on me. Um, <laughs> I thought it was totally disconcerting, but very appropriate to the events that were occurring in the book. It was it was quite enjoyable, and just the how preposterous some of the the dialogue was. It was amazing to read, and I laughed out loud. Oh, good. And I I, I don't usually do that with, with well, comics. Yeah. I love a comic that makes me laugh out loud. The Atom, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, I, I will be guaranteed to laugh out loud two or three times at that. And I, that's what I seek in a comic, really. I love that stuff. Now, I asked this question of Alexander Irvine about Hellstorm. Because oh, yes, I was listening to that the other week. He has such disgusting and, and repulsive events going on, and yet he, he leavens it with humor. Do you, do you feel the same way, that you need a little bit of that lighthearted... Air. Yeah, very much so. I mean, the more 
the more a character makes you laugh, the more you care about them. And then if you put them through terrible, terrible stuff, you really care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge fan of an anime show called Pat Labor, which is kind of a little ancient now, but really stands up in the modern day. And they do episode after episode of character comedy in a kind of Hill Street Blues way. So that when they come to big, serious battle scenes, you feel tremendously for these people. You've been laughing along with them. Of course you care when they get hurt. And there's some of that in Wisdom. Wisdom is a tragedy. Um, uh, across the six issues, horrible things happen. But hopefully there's quite a lot of comedy along the way. And, and also it's the heritage of the character, really. He's got to make you laugh, because he always has. And I love plonking him in the middle of superheroes, especially. Because he could have been a superhero if he wanted to. He still could. Right. But there's obviously, in a very British way, something that strikes him as undignified about being an actual superhero. And he's a very honest man. He's, um, he uses his wit to get to the heart of things. Um, he's a kind of British everyman. I tremendously identify with him. I identify with the way he always trips over himself. Uh, but that's not because he's um, clunky or useless. He's just a normal guy. He's doing his best. He's got a tremendous sense of duty. And he just finds himself in the middle of situations which he copes with in the end, but which nobody else could, and kind of clutches his way through them. Um, but also there's this tremendous dark side. Um, the Hungerford Massacre, which um, happened during my childhood, um, within ooh, 20 miles of my house, um, was a, a, it was a real event. And it, it's very hard to deal with real tragic events in comics. It depends on kind of how seriously you take the medium and stuff like that. But still, I wouldn't necessarily refer to it in a, a TV drama either. So we just touch upon it as a touchstone for where Pete comes from, the fact he lost his mother in it. And uh, there's nothing there's nothing funny about a spree killing. You can't really use it as subject matter for a superhero comic. But in Pete's case, somehow because he's still the regular guy, we can talk about that a little bit. I don't think that the Hungerford Massacre could play a part, say, in Captain Britain's origin. Wonderful though Captain Britain is as a character. But Pete, he's still got one foot there in the world, you know? He's, he's got a little bit of vertigo about him. And um, having that guy in the midst of your superheroes, that's interesting. He's very real. I, I love him, I think so. Yeah. Now, y- your description of this series as a tragedy makes me very afraid for Ms. Raven. Ah, uh, I'm glad it made you afraid. Yes. Isn't that, isn't that terrible? I'm a bit leery now about her description on the first page of the second issue. Oh, you noticed that? Yes. <laughs> you noticed Trev's huge splash page there. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of hard not to notice. <laughs> now the, the very f- creepy. He did very well with that. Oh, uh, the brain splattered behind her and uh, the devastation. It was a, an amazing page. Mm. Please don't kill her. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when the audience says that to me. She's already appeared in the Marvel Universe, and um, she's already dead. <sighs> but um, that is to say, in very peculiar circumstances, which are not reflected in Wisdom as yet. Mm. Well, at least she had fun in the second issue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not answering the question about whether or not she dies in this miniseries or not. Okay. But in the wider Marvel Universe, which, of course, Wisdom is not connected to in any way... Um, she's always been referred to in the past tense. 
Mm-hmm. And where has she come from? I, I've been reading comics for 30 years. Um, have I missed her? Well, somewhere in the Bronze Age. And um, she had that name. And so did her son. Oh. Well, this is awful, isn't it? I, I literally can't tell you. So the best you're going to get is these awful hits. <laughs> okay, good, good enough. I'll, I'll, I'll Google it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably have the issues too. It's just that you get to a certain age, and you know the memory stumbles. Well, I think the cover of six is out there right now, which could give you a hint. Okay. The first two issues, there's a not so subtle commentary on the Brit- on Britain's collective unconscious, which Wisdom describes as medieval, as if to say that the the, the people are shackled by their past, which prevents them from developing the mindset necessary for dealing with the future. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it like that. I'm. Um, I'm. I'm quite a patriot. Um, I turned in a draft of, of six recently, which my, my first drafts are always terrible. And then Nick gives me some notes, and I think I really raise my game to this this weird degree between drafts one and drafts two. And from then on, any more drafts are kind of you know moving, just moving the pieces about a bit. But my first drafts are terrible, and my second drafts are okay. But um, my first draft of issue six was this kind of patriotic rant about Britain, and it was it was pretty terrible. Nick didn't comment on any of that, but we lost a lot of it just structuring it about because I did I just didn't want it in there anymore. But um, I'm I'm this huge conflicted British patriot. Um, I love the country. I I find that we are as a nation far too obsessed with our past. We are, we are post imperial now. We still think of ourselves as imperial. We look back to the Second World War all the time. And, um, you know, we've done good things since then. And um, this is this is what I'm doing with um, Captain Midlands, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Pete, like me, wants to get on with the future. He thinks this is a young country. He wants us to be forward-looking and on the cutting edge and doing all that stuff. Um, the captain is hidebound by tradition. Now, I'm not slagging that off, because that's my dad. My dad fought in World War II. Um, and he's very much part of that stratum of um, looking back to that and using that as a touchstone. But, you know, he's moved on. And um, he's somebody I respect a great deal on that basis. I, I think his generation, you know, saved the world. But um, still, uh, Pete's desire to move on is my desire to move on. And... Um, the fact that that's to do with wider geopolitical things, as well as Pete's own tragedy, I think that kind of shapes the tragedy of the six issues. Um, can Pete escape from his past, and can can Britain? Um, I don't think we're going to solve that in a six-issue Marvel miniseries, but hey, we'll try. <laughs> it, it, this concept is further reinforced by the sequence where the, the two MI6 members are discussing MI13 and their, their mean, lack of history... Good. That would be Blackjack Tower and Sir Clive Reston from the pages of Master of Kung Fu. I'm pleased to say. I, I, I wanted to, They were on my shopping list as well of people I wanted to use. And surprisingly, it didn't take Marvel long to clear them. I thought they'd be wanting them. Some, they'll be in Civil War, won't they? Nah. <laughs> Everyone's in Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Do you believe... I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing Mark tomorrow, actually. But I must set something up to nudge him with. Do you believe in the collective unconscious and the uh, Akashic Records? 
this is why you were asking the um, Hellstorm guy about all these fourteen subjects. I yes, it, okay, and oh, he right. and he wasn't and he, he wasn't was biting. Out by it, wasn't he? Yeah, he was kind of <laughs> whoa. What have I got into here? Uh, I, I just write about it. I'm afraid, um, but uh, no. Um, <laughs> I uh, yeah, to some degree, I, I think it's more a, a social thing, more a kind of um, a cultural thing than necessarily a, a, a mystical thing or, or a psychic thing. Um, I, I think the collective unconscious lies somewhere in our culture, which is why uh, the Beatles were, were, were such a tremendous, um, tre- tremendous changes and displaces. Um, people who really push their ability to manipulate the collective unconscious as far as any human being ever has um, through sheer ability, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if if Britons were called upon to sum up, you know, what they regarded as their uh, golden age, their golden past, they would settle on some vaguely Celtic um, post-Roman wonderland with King Arthur in it, which probably never really existed. But that's kind of Avalon and Otherworld. And it annoys Pete that it's medieval. You know, that um, probably... You know, there are countries in this world where you ask them about what an ideal for them would be like, and it's some kind of futuristic um, green paradise. And um, the fact that we're still harking back, and always hark back, annoys Pete as much as it annoys me. Hmm. Sorry, I, 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 I really, really deviated from your question there. I'm, I'm treating this like it's a, a round of just a minute, and I have a, an ancient British radio game show, and I have to talk without hesitation, repetition, or deviation. Sorry. <laughs> well, the collective unconscious concept is making a sort of resurgence now. It appeared in Warren Ellis's New Universal, and oh, yeah. Stephen oh, yeah. King used it in Cell, so it's, it's, it's out there. And I think it's 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 we all we all feel it. We all know it's real, but it's the mechanism. Right. You know, it's. Uh, I'm I'm fairly much. I'm 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 a fourteen, but I'm also very much a skeptic. I think that's part and parcel of being a fourteen. You know, it's um, um, uh, the fourteen thing being that um, is basically the scientific method unshackled by society. That is to say, you step back from these amazing stories you hear you don't judge them, you kind of get a little smile on your face about them and think, oh, that's romantic. But you, you're not necessarily concerned with the truth of them. Um, and uh, you wait for evidence. Right. And much as um, the scientific method insists that um, a hypothesis will come along and be displaced by a better hypothesis, um, the 14 thing is really to do that without having to worry about your research grant. You know, to actually go out and study Bigfoot and see if you can find one, and uh, only decide that you can't find one when really you've looked in all the places. I'm starting to think that maybe he's not out there as a real, you know, hunk of meat. But um, you know, I keep trying to persuade my wife, hey, let's go to the middle of a, a forest somewhere, you know, in, in Manitoba, and see. <laughs> the quest. Let's make let's make hooting noises. She, she's not very pleased with it. She doesn't like me like me taking her to places where there are supposed to be ghosts either. <laughs> I, I don't think many women would be welcome to that. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we should get together as some kind of Marvel Bigfoot hunt. That would be an excellent idea. Well, we'll go to Loch Ness too. <laughs> <laughs> I was tempted. I was so close to doing a Pete Wisdom Loch Ness <laughs> because I've done Jack the Ripper now. 
and um, <laughs> that's issue four. And that was almost a celebration of all the mad stuff that happens in Marvel British comics. Um, I asked, I got, I got two mates on um, the Handbook of the Marvel Universe, who I ask about a lot of this stuff. I asked them about Marvel's Jack the Ripper, and the answer was so lengthy, I just couldn't reference it. it we've got to the point in, and, and so self-contradictory. We've got to the point in continuity where I just had to throw up my hands and say, never mind. Um, the word extensive does not do the those handbooks justice. No, absolutely. So comprehensive. And when they've got their hands on something that is self-contradictory, like the Jack the Ripper stuff, the little twists and turns they have to do to make it all fit together. The Rawhide Kid story is not in it. It really isn't. It's, um... Oh, dear. At least my version of Jack the Ripper has nothing to do with any of that, so I haven't just added another plate on top of the huge pile. <laughs> I, want, I just wanted to tell you that Wisdom Number 2 is probably the only comic I've ever read with ties to Francois Rabelais' Gargantua and Pantagruel. Ah, oh, Love it, love it, love it. You I don't want my characters to die, and you catch my literary references. Fantastic. <laughs> I put the issue down, and I said, now that's something I've never read before. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people did. They put it back on the comic rack. Um, it's, um, I, I, I love my references. The thing is, I, I've basically given up on in-jokes in all my Doctor Who stuff, because in-jokes, they're not jokes, they're never funny. In Marvel, I kind of can do it as a sort of layering process. And if you bring them from a place which aren't comic fan references, but elsewhere, there's an awful lot of British comedy references. The reason Pete Wisdom has a boss called Mr. Grimsdale is because of Norman Wisdom, a 1960s British comedian who used to do pratfalls and was always calling out for his boss, Mr. Grimsdale, Mr. Grimsdale, I've got it wrong again. <laughs> and if Pete could have something inscribed on his tombstone, it would be Mr. Grimsdale, I've got it wrong again. I'm hoping there is a Norman somewhere in the branch of the Wisdom family. I'm amazed that when we met his dad, that the opportunity was not taken to call him Norman. But anyway. <laughs> and and issue three is called Enter with Dragon, or Enter with Dragon, which was um, the name of a, a particular episode of a British sitcom called The Goodies. Um Nobody out there in Marvel Land cares about this. They're all looking at each other, listening to this podcast, wondering what the hell I'm on about. Uh, we got the goodies as well. Oh, hey, did you? Yes. Oh, there we are. It was the Ecky Thumb episode. And you layered the uh, in, in jokes not only in literary terms, but as in terms of the Marvel Universe, too, with the, the fake footnotes. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm, I, I wish, I understand why Marvel don't want to do footnotes. And, you know, at this stage in my career, I don't want to take on Joe Quesada about a mainstream issue of Marvel policy. But I used to love the footnotes when I was a kid. They, they said to me that, you know, why is Iron Man flying off in such a half? See? Tales of the Incredible issue 5028 to find out. And they kind of said to me that um, there was this huge world, this huge universe beyond that comic. And that was a really good feeling. And uh, so I thought I'd invent some tales to admonish and um, journey into misery from Pete's past and uh, <laughs> give him some references. Well, you know, that weren't, weren't real references. There are things that are very welcome to longtime readers, but they seem to fall flat with newer readers for some reason. Well, I don't know. I, I've I haven't really heard from many newer readers. Um, the first issue was really well reviewed. I really appreciated that. So many nice reviews up and down the net. Um, 
and we had a few for the issue two as well. I, I think reviewers kind of drop off as the series goes along, you know. Um, I've, I've done this eye mix for issue three, which has um, uh, throughout the issue lots of uh, soundtrack boxes. Um, since it's set in Wales, they're all by Welsh artists, um, and I've created an iMix on iTunes and plonked it up there so anybody reading the book can go along and either listen to clips of or actually download and buy all the relevant tracks as they go through it. Mm -hmm. um, it it's, it's another one of those things to try and um, to try and put some energy, you know, some newness. I love that recent Grant Morrison issue of um, a Batman which is done as a short story with illustrations. As always with Grant, you just know that he's got complete commitment, that he sat down and thought, what can I bring to this that nobody's seen before, that they'll be talking about for years afterwards? And rather like that, I keep looking for, um, they're not gimmicks really, but, but new stuff, new angles to bring to this. Um, originally I wanted to, um, uh, I, I read an awful lot of manga, and I think there are lots of manga storytelling techniques that superhero comics could really quietly absorb. And um, one of them is what I call uh, subtext. I've been looking for a, um, a, 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 a Japanese term for this, but I, I can't find what the term might be, if there is one. Um, often in a manga you'll get a speech balloon, and outside the speech balloon there'll be kind of um, a subtext of what that person might say next, or what they're thinking, or... You know, some, a look that's crossing their features. You'll have just words sitting in air giving a commentary on the speech balloon, which is kind of their facial expression or something like that. And I so want to do that in Wisdom. Um, but it's just a matter of the technology. In colour comics, it's far harder to do that. And in issue one, where you've got um, Pete thinking in an old-fashioned thinks balloon, ooh, she's gorgeous, that was originally going to be one of those subtext things we tried and tried. But it's really hard to do that when you've got a colour printing process going on. Um, to have words just sitting there in mid-air. Um, I, I love thought blooms as well. I, I think they're um, uh, part of the comics medium that you don't get to use in any other medium. And I don't think comics should be so, um, so in awe of movies and TV shows that we don't get to hear what people think anymore. Or have to hear it in um, a, a strange kind of narrative... Um, box rather than a bubble which indicates somehow they're writing this stuff after the fact although if they're writing to as, as in Green, if they're reacting to as in Green Arrow uh, where his narration reacts to things being shot at him so rather like the hero of a um, H.P. Lovecraft story who's writing it's coming in the door right now urg arg glub <laughs> and he's, he's writing his reaction to the tentacle being wrapped around him, which is, you know, it, it, it says a lot for the um, perspicacity of the Victorian gentleman that they're willing to keep on writing in that situation. Anyway, you see what I'm talking about. You probably don't. I'm not sure what I'm talking about myself. <laughs> I've been talking for about half an hour, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some sort of klaxon might do it. <laughs> uh, we talk about the thought balloon and the caption all the time on our show and we really believe that when they abandoned the the mechanisms it was a, a turn for the worst with comics really well, well it, was, it wasn't a big fight to get the thought bloom back into wisdom i i haven't i haven't pushed for it since then i i i kind of so much one, one of the things i don't like about comics is how the whole discourse on the internet is kind of an aggressive one how everybody seems to be sniping at each other, how all crit, most crit, seems to be in terms of 
loudness and, and nastiness. And as I say, my, my relationship with Marvel has been absolutely lovely. And um, I, I don't want to say anything offhand about thought blooms or anything else, which might indicate that I got some kind of big um, chip on my shoulder that would remind them of your ongoing fight with the fandom. I mean, it, it says it's a pop medium that there's a fight with the fandom, and all companies have it. Um, and it's one of those things that pop is about. But I really could do without it. And, you know, if I say I like thought balloons, it's just me liking thought balloons. Right. You know, I got no banner or crusade. And uh, nobody's ever said to me you can't use them, even. You should script issue six completely with thought balloons. <laughs> well, hey, it's too late now, it's got off, but uh, there's uh, a thought. <laughs> One of the more interesting sequences in issue two was when Maureen connects with the soldier's mind and a butterfly is shown. Now, this is an insect that's also associated with Peter David's Layla Miller from X Factor. Um, yeah, um, that's Trev's butterfly. <laughs> oh. I love it. It's a, it's a lovely butterfly, but it's nothing to do with me. Oh, see, I was going to ask you if the butterfly was associated with her thought processes, how it flits from, from place to place, and her mind would do the same, but we'll chalk right, that up right. to the artist. <laughs> Sometimes a butterfly is just a butterfly, <laughs> as, as Freud probably wouldn't have said to Jung. <laughs> well, unlike uh, Rabelais' work, Pantagruel in your book is female. Why the gender change? Um, because I wanted to call it the village that walked like a woman rather than the village that walked like a man <laughs> because so many people had done things that looked like that walked like a man. Okay. And why no nudity? Um, I don't know. Um, well, actually, in my original, um, they were all just vague mud. I say my original. That's a ridiculous way of saying it. In the script, they were all just vague mud, mud shapes. Mm-hmm. And Trev just drew them much more human. And, you know, I think that's probably quite nice because you've got a whole page picture of a vague mud, mud shape and it's not very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I I'd, I think maybe Trev's following some artistic guidelines on what you can and can't show, but I, I don't know. You wanted some more nudity? Uh, nudity's always welcome. <laughs> and not just, not just the mud. Especially when the artist is as, as talented as Trevor. You know, you you could probably call up Trevor and uh, get him to do something, you know, on a personal <laughs> basis. And uh, there were parts during that whole conflict that Pantagruel almost had an androgynous look, which Again? was which was really oh, neat. Was after. Yeah. <laughs> if you forgive my lack of British history, uh, one of the Guardians is referred to as Little Bremington. Um, just a village, um, made-up village. Um, I love the thought that each of the um, each of the giants now has a village on its head, and um, I have a vague hope that someday somebody might pick up on the um, in the in wider Marvel might pick up on um, the village walking off into the North Sea with a, with a giant under it, and the fact that they now have to find out their own jurisdiction and uh, you know where they stand in the UN and things like that, all, all managed by um, you know a, a, a parish committee and a, a small group of people meeting at a parish hall. Mm-hmm. That appeals to my my sense of humour, because <laughs> I I live in a place that uh, could you know be hauled off on the top of a giant's head. Once again, you go back to the 
collective unconscious with Pantagruel. She's referred to as the English unconscious. And the Reverend exclaims something along the lines that if the English unconscious is moving, they have to move with it. Once again, the themes mesh very well with those presented in the first issue. Well, again, I'm going to keep on revisiting this in lots of different ways. Um, uh, the story of Pete and his relationships really does go along with the theme. And I'm, I'm pleased you picked up on it. Is the fact that the English unconscious in the form of Pantagruel is moving away from Britain at the end significant? Mm, not particularly, I don't think. I'm kind of... Um, um, it, it, now, how do I put this? It's interesting. I, I, I try not to think about... I try not to think about the indices too hard. I try not to think about what it all means. Um, because it kind of then means something um, that it's meant to mean without me getting in the way. Uh, looking at it from the outside, in kind of lit cred, it's walking off towards America, basically. Or at least towards Greenland at this point. So it's kind of moving away from Europe. I mean, this is, this is the whole British thing as well, that we're halfway between America and Europe, uh, in terms of our culture, in terms of everything. And the right and the left have both aligned themselves to um, America and Europe, respectively, historically. And um, so, where the the move, rather like the uh, magnetic pole, where the the wanderings of the English unconscious takes it, might be a side of, of where where Britain is. Um, but it's not any big comment on my part. I just like the idea of a British village walking out into the sea. Very attractive British village. Well, hey, I can show you some attractive British villages. <laughs> <laughs> That's not normally how they use the word attractive in association with British villages. Oh, hey, can I just mention my favourite line in any comic this month? Sure. Um, it's in, amazingly, Wonder Woman issue four. Um, and I don't even know if it's deliberate on the part of Alan Heimberg. But um, it's where um, uh, Hercules, who has been working with uh, Wonder Woman, says... Um, you know, um, I did all this stuff with the Greek gods, and um, Circe is saying, um, he raped your mother and despoiled the temple and all that, and Wonder Woman goes, that's ancient history. <laughs> <laughs> I was rolling on the floor. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it's deliberate. But, uh, anyway, sorry, do go on. <laughs> Through the character's dreams, you reveal a number of uh, startling insights into the minds of the members of MI-13. Wisdom sees his mother, Captain Midlands feels ineffectual and old, Tink sees nothing, um, Maureen experiences spontaneous orgasms. I thought it was a clever way of opening up the inner workings of the characters to the reader without resorting to exposition or flashbacks. Well, thanks very much. I, I, um, I think we got the captain there in one panel. Um, he feels kind of marooned. Um that, you know, there are some skinheads wearing swastikas. Mm -hmm. And, oh, I, I, I cannot imagine uh, what my dad must feel if he ever encountered that during his, his later years. Um, and uh, Tink doesn't dream at all. Right. So she's just got a, a, a kind of, ooh, signal. Um, and uh, Pete, of course, has his mum hanging on to him. And um, his mum dragging him down. Um, because she is his guilt, the weight of the past, all that. Right. Um, who wants to? Oh, yeah, Maureen's just having fun there. <laughs> Wife in the military, yeah. She seems to have the best time of them all. 
absolutely. And I also really like the panel where Wisdom is hanging on the ledge, and there seems like there's a million people hanging on to him as if he's in, you know, responsible for the well-being of a ton of people. Oh, absolutely. Well, I thought they're people from his past. Um, that is, the people he killed in that village um, in his, on his own, um, as he refers to it, his own spree killing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's still a responsible guy. That's what I love about him, actually. That he's never turned into um, the rebel cop, the Dark Avenger. Um, he still sees the idea of hanging on to that ledge, of having a place in society, is really, really important. And um, that's the dichotomy I love about it. I'm assuming his relationship with Tink is not going to end well. Um, no. <laughs> Although, <laughs> very few things end well here. It's very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Well, nature of the beast. Well, it, you know... I, I, there's little, there's little I can say about this. I hope, I hope you enjoy it when you see it. You may, you may be more pleased than you think you're going to be. And when you think about it, what has ended well with Pete Wisdom? Not very much. Well, indeed, that's the nature of the character. Right. Um, he seems to keep on trying to push this boulder up the hill and having, keep on having it roll back over it. And um, the fact that he's still in love with Kitty, um, and uh, leaves drunken answer phone messages for her. <laughs> it, it's rather awful, really. Here I am. Um, well, obviously, Kitty is way off limits, um, being in Astonishing X-Men and being handled in a magnificent way over there. I agree. Um, and, um, you know, so it's a major thing in Pete's life, but one I really can't reference in any detail. So I kind of am making a virtue of that. Um, and you know, having Pete respond to it with drunken answer phone messages and a photo on his desk and, you know, her absence in the book is felt, I think. Very much so. It's it's very subtle, but it it, uh, it worked very well. Oh, thank you very much. I, I think this is it's a generational thing uh, in terms of comic fans, whether you, you think a kitty should be with one Peter or the other. And um, I think, uh, well, I, 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 I'm in awe what Joss is doing, obviously, and um, I think it's it's very nice for that generation that she got back together with him. But I, I think it's a mark of the Marvel Universe, actually, that unlike, say, um, Green Arrow and um, Black Canary, where we all want them to be together, um, this is these are two couples. This is actually two different options for two generations on who you think that she that she should be with both of which work, both of which are, are valid. And I think that's much more real world in a lot of ways. Another sequence in the sec- second issue that really piqued my interest was the rambling, deranged soldier <laughs> where he, he's going on about biology and physics and geography. Is this another commentary on the oppressive weight of the sciences on the collective unconscious? Yeah, to some degree. Um, it's also so I could have John saying, "Do you think he's trying to teach us a lesson?" <laughs> um, but um, it's uh, geography and history are the big burdens. Um, you know, uh, geography is such a defining force in human life, and in terms of the people who live in that village, the geography is everything for them. That's the problem for them. Um, you know, so uh, to some degree, these things get 
um, placed and to some degree they get thrown out there and um, yeah it, it, it's interesting always to respond to people who've picked up on this stuff and uh, r rather like your um, it, it was your Hellstorm guy who said last week wasn't it that um, he was taught in a class to always say that it was mm -hmm. deliberate right <laughs> I really should take that advice <laughs> <laughs> so what's next after wisdom oh hey well loads um, Marvel have been very very lovely and have um, are in talks with my agent about a number of things um, three things as we speak of which I cannot say anything so that's a dream come true really and I'm really really pleased about it um, there's the uh, in other areas there's the Doctor Who two-parter mm -hmm. um, Human Nature which uh, is episodes 8 and 9 of the third season as always, I'm, I'm always in the process of talking to other TV shows about being on them, and that's happening in two areas as we speak. I've also got a, a TV show of my own um, in with um, the BBC. Uh, it's a superhero show. Um, unlike Heroes, it's very into secret identities and capes and, you know, costumes. And it's been with them for a few months now. I I don't know if it'll happen. I, it's been there too long. I suspect. I think we're we're probably not going to get it. But if I did, that would be well, that would be my life for a couple of years. And today, um, I'm on a hundred and eight thousand words of my third novel. Wow. Which is really personal, and you know, really, uh, um, it's a kind of I won't use the H word. It, uh, horror. Um, it's a Stephen Kingish, hopefully airport sales hay thing <laughs> about um, the nightmare of going back to school. Um, uh, about a guy who goes back to his school reunion and um, is trying to work out whether uh, his memories of his time at school, including all the impossible magic murder stuff, can be true. I'm really proud of that. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I kind of see myself as a novelist who's lucked out and gets to do all sorts of other things. Um, I'm having the time of my life at the moment, really. You don't get much sleep, though. Nah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> things are very, very busy. But, you know, honestly, uh, I'd rather be working, especially on stuff like Wisdom, of which I'm really, really proud. It's an amazing series. I can't wait to see the rest of it. I eagerly await your, your future Marvel work. Well, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate being on your show. Hey, if you need me back for anything ever... <laughs> oh, needless to say, we will have you back. I'm sorry I rambled. I no, 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 that's perfect. How we, we can't get insight into the creation of these books if the creators themselves are tight-lipped, so y you could come back and talk for three hours if you have the time. Oh, okay. Next week? <laughs> <laughs> How about that? That was neat. That guy is one hell of a talent. We've got to stop doing interviews only because I'm going broke buying the comics that the people that we're doing the interviews with are working on.
it does help that they're doing some fantastic work. I mean, last week with Fraser Irving, and now with Mr. Cornell, and and we've had Alexander Irvine, who of course is doing Hellstorm. I mean, you know, it, these people aren't doing work that you can really just—they're not slashes. No, it's it's comparable with the Vertigo stuff. I, yeah. I I think it compares very favorably with a lot of the titles. So if they keep on that uh, track, I think their Max imprint's going to be something really special. Yeah, it won't be a line, an imprint that just gives Marvel an excuse to show some TNA or have the people that the Punisher is killing curse a whole hell of a lot. Yep. It'd, it'd be nice to have some, some mature style readings in, in the Marvel Universe. And that's exactly what Hellstorm and uh, Wisdom are. They, they do kind of get gratuitous at times, but it's never like a forced gratuitousness right. it's just you know and and i was really surprised in in wisdom he had a couple opportunities to show some nudity and they kind of shied away from it so right, okay. they're not exploiting the label at all which is cool very tasteful Excellent. you know what i like about this uh manx line is that uh the kind of the the mood or the flavor of uh, what marvel is doing here is that i know we compare it to vertigo but um it's something that only marvel could do you know, I mean, they're doing Hellstorm, and the you know P- the Punisher's been there for a long time, and these are signature Marvel characters, and um, it's best that Marvel doesn't just try to do, you know, Vertigo already does Vertigo, so Marvel needs to have its own flavor to it, and I think they're doing that. And Son of Satan was pretty much you know on the line of good taste when he came out in the '70s, so he's a natural for that line. The same thing with Pete Wisdom. You you can get into all kinds of uh, un, unbeaten paths, I guess, with with Pete Wisdom. So yeah, they're doing the right thing, and and it's really neat to watch this whole thing unfold because when you think about it, Max is pretty much the baby label. It, it hasn't exploded to the point where it should yet, but uh, I'm keeping an eye on it. Yeah. Creative organism designated Peter David. Proceed. We're here with Peter David, great writer of stuff. Nice to meet you. You too. With your extensive experience with the Hulk, and in light of the recent direction that the book has taken, do you feel it's a character that needs an occasional reboot to keep it fresh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was writing the series, um, actually I would watch sales figures. I mean, since I, I had a great deal of access to sales figures in those days, and... I was able to see several months in advance if interest in that current incarnation of the Hulk was starting to wane, and I would then immediately be able to course correct by send, by coming up with a new incarnation or a new way of approaching the character, which generally happened every three and a half to four years. It was, you know, it was very much cyclical. You know, I'd see it starting to drop, and I go, okay, time to do something dramatically different. Were you consulted at all on Planet Hulk in, in light of your vast experience with, with the character? Did anyone from Marvel sit, come to you and solicit your opinion on where, which way it should go? No. <laughs> to the point. I, you know, would you like me to elaborate? Sure. No, sir. <laughs> do, you, do you wish they had, in a way? Because when, when I think of Hulk, I think of Peter David. It literally never occurred to me to wish that they had. I mean, you know, uh, 
the, the, they have a new creative team and they're taking the book in a particular direction and that's the way it goes. I mean, it literally never occurred to me to think, gee, I wish they'd asked me what to do. I, I've, I've got too many other things in my mind. As a writer who invests uh, a lot of creative energy and time in these characters, like Janice, the recent events in Thunderbolts with that character, and, and Hulk going in another direction, do you, do you have an attachment to these things that you've molded over the years and does it is there any feelings where you, when you see another writer come in and do things that maybe you wouldn't have done with them um not really i mean the thing is i form a great attachment to the characters while i'm writing the characters if i stop writing the characters i've essentially forced myself to cut emotional ties with them specifically so that I won't get upset if subsequent writers do stuff that I would never have done or stuff that I feel is flat out wrong. If you stay way too attached to characters that you don't own, you are leaving yourself open to just getting really upset over stuff that you have absolutely no control over. Now, you are adapting Stephen King's Dark Tower. How much of Peter David is invested in this book? Well, none of Peter David in terms of what people would ordinarily think of me. Instead, I have channeled all my energies to trying to be as faithful to the spirit of the Dark Tower as humanly possible and to do justice to you know, Stephen King's probably most personal storyline. Have you heard the news? The news? Yeah. What news? Captain America is dead. That's what I heard. I know. See, now, I, is, it, is it Captain America or is it Steve Rogers? Because I don't think the idea of Captain America will ever die. Very true. You're right. Steve, Steve Rogers is dead. Idea. Yeah, that was the big uh, hubbub this Wednesday. Out of the blue, Captain America 25 hit, and I guess a lot of retailers were a little bit displeased at the uh, lack of uh, foresight on Marvel to actually tell them to order pretty heavily on this issue. Well, I think they uh, they did put up some hints out there that it would be a big issue. No, but... but uh, I mean, there's no way you can tell. I mean, you know, it's kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. You can say you can say nothing and then the retailers are pissed because you didn't tell them to order a lot. Or you can say, you know, order a bunch and then it gets out that it's obvious what's going to happen and everybody's pissed because it was spoiled ahead of time. So. And, I mean, even if they did take the gamble and bought a lot of extra copies, there's no guarantee. If, if Marvel never said this is what happens in the issue, but you must order a lot. There's no guarantee that those issues would have sold, and now the retailer has spent all that money on comics that are just sitting in the back room. Right. I, right. I, and if and the guy that the guy that's local to me, and he's basically he said that it, the only way you knew about it is if you worked for Marvel. There was an online retailer that actually ordered a lot, but that's because they knew about it in advance. Um, Marvel worked with them to um, to pretty much guarantee that uh, that 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 this retailer would would have copies but the what i'm finding out is that if marvel tells you you should order the numbers that you were ordering for civil war okay so if i'm retailer joe and i order 500 copies of civil war and only 300 of them are selling then do i continue to order 500 copies of captain america or do i order the numbers of captain america of civil war that sold and only order 300 and then again i mean you still there's, there's still no way of knowing. I'm glad that they kept it hush-hush. And if it was, if, if anything happened newsworthy that Wednesday, this would have gotten buried. 
it wouldn't have it wouldn't have made the the, the news it made. It might have gotten a blurb, right. or it might have even gotten a blurb the next day. But if something catastrophic happened in the world, this would have gotten buried. The fact that it got out, I think it was great. It generated the buzz. It got people interested. They wanted to run to the store. They were calling. I mean, it it it. I think it it served that purpose where it generated interest. But unfortunately, I don't know. You know, DC, so many years ago, when they killed off Superman, and as it, it, it you know, it got the news attention, and, and the media picked up on it, and everybody knew about it, and DC, since DC announced it ahead of time, they sold, like, what, like, three million copies of that comic? If, you know, it's hard to say. First of all, I'm glad it, the story didn't leak. I've said that before. I'll continue to say it. I, I don't like being spoiled, but I'm, I'm glad the, the main part of the story didn't get out beforehand but if Marvel gave the retailers a heads up in any way I mean you don't have to say Captain America gets shot but you could have you could have just hinted give them any sort of information you can so that they're aware that they should order extra copies it, it would have benefited Marvel a lot more it would have benefited retailers and it obviously would have, would have benefited fans and casual readers if they had known something big was going to happen in Captain America 25. And not that vague, oh, it's the end of Civil War, of course something big is going to happen. No. No, because on the same hand, Fantastic Four 244, something big's happening in that because we have a new lineup for the Fantastic Four. But, you know, it's not like, I, I don't, it, it's hard to say where to, where, where that line needs to be drawn as to, well, what, what constitutes a big deal that I need to order extra copies for. Let's look at the track record as far as Marvel alerting retailers to order more. They did it on House of M. And thank God that the retailers didn't order more than they thought because that it, it was a decent seller, but I don't think it sold exceptionally well. And and in the past, it's always been, yes, you're going to want to order more of this issue. And, and what did it amount to uh, for the most part? A lot of those issues were left there on the shelves. So even if they did warn them, I don't know. I, I don't think it would have made all that much difference. Sure, this is a special, a special case because something of import actually did happen, which is very much against the norm. And I'm glad you brought up the death of Superman because I think this whole Captain America thing is going to be very much different than the death of Superman, which you said the black issue sold millions of copies how many copies did the white issue sell that's what you have to focus on the, they couldn't give the white issue away at one point no, you're right but and i don't think that this and, is going to be like that i think brubaker has a plan for this and if i know brubaker like i think i know brubaker i will bet you any amount of money that captain america will be at least a top I don't want to say top 10 because that's asking for a lot, but at least a top, top 15. No, I'll go top 15. Oh, I, okay. I will say that this will push Captain America into top 15 for at least six months, probably more than that, because once your average Joe who hasn't been exposed to Brubaker's writing picks up this issue, he's going to say, wow, that was really well written. And the yeah. art, the art on this is exceptional. I'm going to stick with this comic book and see how this plays out because you know as well as I know that you're not going to just dispose of Captain America. He will come back at some point in the well, future. And they're okay. probably selling a bunch of the uh, trades and stuff too. That's what I heard anyway is that 
you know, even for people who couldn't come in and get that issue, like say people who hadn't read Captain America, they'll pick up the, you know, the trade that they yeah. have in stock. And, and I heard about people being sold out of those too. Beautiful. If there's Which one is, sure thing yeah. in the comic book world, it's Ed Brubaker. Sorry about that, Dan. And and that was the and and that was the um. I mean, without getting sidetracked with the parallels too much, because obviously we do have a topic at hand. But I think another another big difference in my mind regarding Superman and Captain America is that the death of Superman, I think, was very much editorial driven. You had Mike Carlin pulling the strings of writers like, you know, you had Dan Jurgens, you had Louis Simonson, you had you had all these writers and artists because there were four different Superman titles at the time. So it it got to be a little bit of a mess as far as the storyline and, and who's doing what and what comic book. And I think the payoff, either DC took too long for the payoff. I mean, granted, if, if you have your, your ardent fans and you have the people that are reading the comic week in, week out, you're not going to want to just bring Kal-El back three weeks later the storyline <laughs> needs to be brought out and you're not gonna and 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 you're not gonna what you called him cal l <laughs> i did damn right i did go, i'm a comic fan go ahead <laughs> um but aside from brubaker i mean granted i'm sure Brevoort has a lot to do with what's going on in captain america but you have ed brubaker pretty much calling the shots on this comic book as far as i can tell as far as where the story is going i don't think i don't think tom's really had to be heavy-handed and say to Ed, you know, I think we should do, you know, I, I think Ed's got a game plan, like you said, and, and that's the way it's going to probably follow. Yeah. Um, but it's one writer, it's one creative team. You have Brubaker and Epting doing the, the, doing the work on this comic book. With Superman, you had Steel, Superboy, Cyborg, and... Oh, it's all coming back to me. Who the hell was in action? <laughs> um, Supergirl. No, the Eradicator. Oh, the Eradicator. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so, you know, you have, you knew none of the four were actually Superman. Superman was not going to be Steel. He wasn't going to be Superboy. But you can, because, you know, there is one Superman. And, and you know, with, with Captain America, like we were saying earlier about it being an idea, you have Bucky. You have, you have people that can step up and take over as you have Frank. You have people that can kind of just carry on the mantle, whether or not they'll actually be a good Captain America or do it the way Steve was doing it remains to be seen but you can still have the Captain America character out there whether or not we'll see Steve Rogers back anytime soon I'm riding this one out I'm not going to weigh in on that yet yeah. because I just I'm, I'm just I want to see where the story's going so I'm not going to say oh I predict Steve Rogers will be back in three I don't want to know and I don't think Brubaker is the type of guy that's going to drag this out. He has a story to tell, and he's going to tell it. It's not going to be Reign of the Superman. He has a plan, and I, I have so much faith in Brubaker. So uh, let's hear from Dave. Yeah, he's a, well, as far as Brubaker, I know he, he already made the statement that this was in the, in the works from the beginning, you know, when he joined on to Captain America. This was something that he was going to do. And uh, the fact of Civil War, I think he said, just pushed it up a bit. You know, right. in the timeline, but okay. as far as it, you know, being editorially driven, he he stated that it's something that, from the moment he joined on that book, that it was what he was going to do. So, right, and I have faith in him. I mean, he's uh, just about uh, everything he writes, I read, uh, and he does a fantastic job. And I think Captain America deserves to be a top ten book. You're right. Yeah, you yep. know, it always has. It has been. It's been that kind of quality. It's not as you know as boom bastic 
and say the other top ten books are, but uh, just for the sheer quality of both the writing and the art, and you've got not only Epping, but then you've got um, every other arc is um, Perkins, Mike Perkins, right? yeah. 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 So there you've got quality art there, and then we also had um, Michael Lark was uh, doing a... All the flashbacks, know, yeah. Of it too. He's doing a lot of the flashbacks and stuff, so it's just quality all around on that book. Yeah. You get what you paid for. And, you, and I, I really can't understand why books like Daredevil and Captain America aren't in the top ten, and books like New Avengers, not to slight Mr. Bendis, uh, New Avengers is is a good, fun read, but does it really merit being a top ten book? I, 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 I don't... It's a, it's a, well, it's a team book. That's what I was you just going to say. I mean, where else are you going to be able to get Spider-Man Luke Cage right? Yeah, and, and I, under, I understand... Flashier. Right, exactly. It, it's your big action flick, and then you have Daredevil, which is very cerebral and very... Well, it is. And, and I was just going to say, like, the Thinking Fans comic book. Right. I mean, you get... you. I, I read 93 the other day. I thought that was great. Yeah. I love I love looking at her from from uh from Ella's point of view. And every bit as powerful as the death of Superman was Captain America 25. I I really believe that it was it was so perfectly done and it didn't take six issues to get there. It took, right. you know, one issue. He did it in one. Albeit an oversized issue, but it was still it was well done, perfectly plotted. Art was fantastic. And, and right in the middle of the book too, it wasn't like the last panel. Is he gets shot. Is he dead? We'll find out next time. You know. Hey guys, it's Pat Loika calling in for uh, regarding a couple of things. First off, uh, Civil War number seven. I'm going to say something controversial about Civil War number seven, and here it is. I loved it. To me, this was the only way for the story to end without making each side of the argument look worse. Let's recap the, situ- the reason for all this. On one side, we have heroes who believe in getting superheroes registered and deputized under the Superhero Registration Act. On the other side, we have heroes who are against this idea. Over the course of the past few months, we've seen characters switch sides, play dirty, and do things they won't normally do. And all of this led up to the final battle, which we saw play out in Issue 7. The ballot itself showed the, the pro-registration side losing, for the most part, to the anti-registration heroes. Until, of course, normal people got involved and Captain America lays down his arms and surrenders. Why does this make sense to me? Why do I like this? Well, Cap said it himself. As he saw the carnage that their battle has caused, he says, we're not fighting for the people anymore. We're just fighting. And he realizes that there's, there's something wrong with what he's fighting for. I mean, there's nothing wrong with fighting to protect yourself or your identities and all that stuff. But then if you think about it, the number of people that get hurt all casually is, a, you know, of big fights like this, you know, it, it, I'm sure he, re- he understands now the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I've also heard the argument that Cap would not have let go, go this far and that uh, being the, tech, the great tactician that he is, uh, he, he would not have let it go and escalate to this point. But the thing is, Cap's blinded by... The way I see Cap blinded by his cause, what he's fighting for. He's extremely passionate about what he's doing, and he doesn't see the full picture. I mean, everyone has their moments where, you know, where, judge, where judgment is clouded. And, you know, this is a very myopic Cap that we're seeing here who's overconfident. And ultimately, in the end, he saw the bigger picture, and he realized what he had to do. He surrendered. 
he was the bigger man in that battle, I think. This is the ending that I had hoped to see and that I was glad to see. I'm sure a lot of people are disappointed because of it, because more readers are siding with Cap. But readers tend to forget his opponents are good guys, too. Mark Miller tries his best, I think, to give uh, both the pro and anti-registration side equal time. And I thought that the anti-registration people had a lot more to prove than the pro-registration people. Because logic dictates that the pro-registration heroes are right, and the anti-registration side are just being selfish. There's no better way for the story to end. Cap proved to be the better man, and by surrendering, he ushered a new era in the Marvel Universe. A Marvel Universe that's about to be, uh, well, it's about to go crazy again, because you know who is on his way back home. On a lighter note, I wanted to thank you guys for the great time we had in New York. Um, I had a great time picking up sketches, uh, chatting with other fans, and uh, sketching for people myself. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys again in Chicago, and it was a pleasure to meet uh, Miguel, and actually all three Miguels, and the other uh, four members. I want to thank you guys for a good time, uh, for being great roommates, and despite that used condom, I think uh, we we made out all right in the end. Uh, take care, guys, and uh, I'll see you all in Chicago. Well, we we have a couple listener emails, which is a nice change of pace. In fact, we have a lot of listener emails, and the first one, believe it or not, is a poem. Now, yeah, it's not the kind of poetry I've ever encountered before, but it's pretty neat. Is that and a poem? It's it's all over the place. It's really cool. It's from Mr. John Osborne. John says, Hey guys, I haven't emailed the podcast before, but I've been listening for a couple of months now. I really like it and the intros. I wrote this poem in honor of Captain America 25. I hadn't read it. I only heard about it from a friend who called me in a frantic panic. Sort of the same way a friend called me on 9-11. I used to live in New York City. So I wrote a poem. Yes, a poem. From the perspective of someone in the Marvel U, just as my poetry reading was to begin today on 3-7. It isn't that good, but it's a fun piece, and so I wanted to share it with you. It's called, Captain America Died Today, or 3-7-0-7, by John Osborne, read by David Wachter. Captain America Died Today. I heard on the way here, and I knew I had to write this out just to get over the shock. Captain America is dead. Long live Cap. I almost wore black. But then again, there are at least three more appropriate colors I could have worn. Captain America, Stephen fucking Rogers. The man who fought Nazis back in the day before we even joined World War II. Today he lay along the courtroom steps, a sniper's bullet through his gut, not looking a day over thirty, yet his face was grizzled with the age of experience. I don't believe it. Everyone knows this story, the story of the weakling who, drinking a secret formula, became strong. He became a man when he stood proud as an American and did what he had to do. Until finally, he died facing a threat we'd never seen when he died in that fateful explosion in 1945. Only to wake up in a block of ice, fighting a nation changed by the scars of Vietnam 
the young country's innocence long lost. Captain America is dead. I still don't believe it. He died because he became a man by doing what needed to be done. When America chose to give up freedom and liberty in exchange for security, he drew his line in the sand, brought friend against friend, hero against hero, and led the revolution like the Minutemen who founded his country, his nation, his ideals. They captured him, tormented him, and finally shot and killed him. Only because he did what he needed to do, he stepped up and did the only thing truly American. He became the voice of dissent. A secret formula can make you a super soldier, but it can't make you a hero. Captain America is dead. Long live Cap. So that's it. That's the poem. Thank wow. you very much. That's some crazy damn poetry. I'll, I'll give them that. 
That, that's I don't know if I should have done an interpretive dance with it. That's one of them their newfangled poems that don't rhyme. And the dog doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me go put the dog in the bedroom. Hold on. Creative organism designated. Alex Savage. Proceed. Oh, the con experience is great. Um, it's really nice to be back in New York, where I hail from originally. And unfortunately, I'm having a bit of a shock treatment here with the cold weather, considering I live in Florida right now. But other than that, it's pretty warm in here, and it seems like everybody's having a great time. Now you had a fantastic run on Web of Spider-Man. What are you currently working on? Do you have any plans to come back to comics? Or are you? Um, currently, I'm working on the uh, penciling the Spider-Man Sunday newspaper strip, and I also ink the daily strip. And um, I also work for a company in Sweden called Egmont, where I draw the Phantom once or twice a year, one or two books a year for them, and it's simultaneously published in Australia for a com- in a company called Fruit. Um, besides that, I also do storyboards for film and advertising, so if something comes up that's really interesting in comics, I'd love to get back in, sure. Alex Savick, one of the true greats. All right, how about another one, David? Well, this one's... Uh Actually, I have I have two, um, one from uh, a few weeks back, and one actually that came to me just last night. The first one is from Derek Coward, and it's uh, it's in regards to your little uh, World War Hulk audio thingy teaser. Yeah. Now, um, now, who's this from? This is from our pal Derek Coward. Do we do we Ooh. know this guy? Yeah, Never he's, heard been, of him. he's <laughs> been on uh, at least you know once and. Uh, he was boycotting Marvel for the month of February, only to read Civil War number seven and change his mind. Although it's a good thing that Civil War number seven came out towards the end of February, so you know he he that worked out in his favor. But we also have to thank him for including us in uh, part one of his uh, comic podcasts overview. Uh, so thank you, Derek, for that. But in regards to um, the audio. He says, excellent job. Did you guys do that, or did Marvel actually do something that makes me want to buy both that upcoming event as well as the previous Planet Hulk trades beyond putting out a rather poor-looking John Romita Jr. channeling Rob Liefeld image of the Hulk wearing Hercules' pants and Luke Cage's headband from the 70s. Uh, Yeah, you know... You you just... Don't read any more of that. (laughs) That's done. Uh, That was it. You you, you think you know a guy, and you know, hey, I like... (laughs) I would like this guy to be my friend. What the hell was I thinking? Not anymore. Get <laughs> yeah. out. You know, but yeah, that's exactly why I, I did that World War Hulk promo was to get people interested in the book who normally wouldn't pick it up because I've said it before. It is the one Marvel title, the the one mo- the most underappreciated Marvel title currently published. It is fantastic. And Planet Hulk should be a no-brainer. If you haven't bought it, wait for the trade, pick it up. I guarantee it'll be the best thing you've read in a long, long time. Has the trade been solicited yet? No, not yet. Oh, see? Because everybody, you know, everybody's been saying how great it is, and now it's too late for me to go get the issues stuck in the beginning. Yeah, it'll I'm be tough. for the trade. Right. Mm-hmm. Waiting and for the trade. I think it'll be in to your benefit to wait for the trade because they're going to put a whole bunch of things together along with it, probably the guidebook and other things, and it, it's going to be an experience for you. It's a total... I hope they, yeah. I hope they have a fold-up map in it. I love that. <laughs> there is a map in the guidebook. <laughs> <laughs> there is. It's, it's so cool. And... Th- 
if World War Hulk is anything similar, it's going to be just an amazing read. So I'm in for World War Hulk and all the tie-ins. No surprise. But, yeah, go pick up Planet Hulk. Do it. You know what surprises me is that, and, and we saw we saw some crazy prices on some complete sets. Like, was it the first Marvel superhero, Secret Wars, 1 through 12, for, like, what, 100 bucks? Yeah, that's just stupid. I mean, we saw, I mean, and, and you know, I mean, like, like complete runs of miniseries or um, or less than 100 issue runs of series like Micronauts or um, or you know just anything from from the Bronze Age into the 80s of Marvel that you know some of the prices were just outrageous yeah, that some of the dealers were selling them for but I did not see anybody selling a set of what would consist of so far with Planet Hulk that's because there are not many of them around Every all the intelligent people bought them up See? Oh, see, Dave, he's calling us not intelligent. Say hi, Doombot. Hello, everybody. This is Doombot. Having fun at the New York Con with the Bullpen Bulletin crew. What'd you buy today? Oh, this table? Oh, we'll check it out. The Christmas donkey. This table? Tony Gagliardo's purchases. And a whole bunch of $5 books in mint condition, near mint condition, very fine. Astonishing Tales, number five, with Kazar and Dr. Doom, the Red Skull. Small Tale of Suspense with Iron Man and Cap. Nice. And you see how they used to do it? The news agents used to pencil me up. Yeah. I know, it's crazy, crazy. And, and the guy where I used to buy my books used to do it with China Mark instead the, uh, of a pen. So it's got that black shit on it. I think it's uh, the correct nomenclature is Asian American. Um, <laughs> Very nice. Oh yeah. We... Oh, I love that issue. Look at the ink. You know it? Yeah, you know this one. Oh, this one. Okay, yeah. yeah. One fifty-eight. Favorite issues. One fifty-eight. Yeah, it's a beautiful copy. He's got Quicksilver and who's this guy? Zimu. Zimu. Don't know him. You know, it's hard to get that looking like that because most of that cover is white and that's faded. Yeah. A lot of the copies I've seen is faded. I've seen a lot of white covers in this period. They've done yellow too. You know? Yeah, that was like very, very easy to show up frayed. Mm -hmm. Did you get the one with Medusa and the torch? No, I didn't know. Cap and the Falcon. Some caps, yeah. Look at you. 70s caps. Is that the shoes? 189. This is Kirby, I think. Isn't that Kirby? No, 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 you're right. No, it's not. Thank you. Kane. Oh, my God. How do we not recognize Gil Kane? You are so right. We talk about Marvel Comics. Only Marvel Comics. I love Marvel Comics. Great show. Two to three hours a week. We have creator interviews. Let me show you. I'm the rabbi of Pratt Institute. I wrote a book about Jewish influences on superheroes. I did a lot with Marvel. Oh, yeah. I have that book. It's a big, good interview. Excuse me. Yes. I have a website here. Okay. So call me. That's all my information. Okay. Back to Tony. Oh, you got right. it. Yeah. How much? It had a scuff on it. Oh. Hundred bucks even. I couldn't. I couldn't pass it up. Yikes. Nice. Uh, yeah. Spider-Man number. Watch that. So it completes the. Uh, Be the careful with that. Yeah. yeah. What's that? What's that? Is it 105? 105, I think, at the moment. Yeah. Did you get any of the uh, variant covers for issue 100? No, I didn't know. Those are pricey, no? Can I make a recommendation? Yeah. 198, 199, and 200 of Captain America. Kirby. Yeah, I have it. Okay. Yeah, I think 197 as well. Yeah, it's good. Mad Bomb. So, this closes me out for the day. I'm done. You're done? Shot my load with feelings. Yeah. So, but I also got this beautiful Pat Loika sketch. It is. Winter Soldier. This is Pat's uh, first Winter Soldier drawing, apparently. Nice. Yep. Good call. So, very happy. Thanks, Pat. Cable. Cable. <laughs>
Yeah, loves his cable. Where did uh, Pat? How you doing? Thank you for taking that. Where did Pat go? New episodes every week. It's a great show. Cable as well. That's quality programming. It's all right. It's all right. You got to balance it out. It all Cable's one of my favorite heroes. I don't know why. There's something about him. I love Cable. Yes. Nathan. Nathan's the man. I don't know. I sort of liked, I bought into that character at the time just because... It was the whole mar, you know, the whole image uh, creators first big boom in Marvel, and I, you know, I, I, I loved Liefeld's New Mutants for some odd reason. Now, because at the time I, it was really fresh for me that art style back then. Now I look at it and it looks horrible. I don't want to pop my eyes out, especially with the Hillary Barty inks. That stuff looks horrid. Horrid. I'm sorry. Edit that part out for sure. Why? Hillary Barda? The man's incredible. Yeah. His inks are in that book? Slick. His inks are in He was just modeling life on me, man. Hyper detailed style like that looks only worse with heavy black inks like that. Um, I mean, I don't know. The guys like the, the, the scritchy inkers, guys like Williams and those guys, they much better suited at uh, rendering that image kind of style art at the time. I just remember, because I saw, I think the first live film stuff I bought was that there's like a what if story with Wolverine was Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something like that. And, that stuff just blew me away. I thought that was, that was amazing. And then I got the new mutants, and I felt really let down by how the art turned out. Actually. He's the only one I could think to blame for, for why. Or Hillary. Hillary's the whipping boy for the, the entire image fiasco. No, now that I look back on it, though, of course, like I said, I, I don't know. I can't stand his art style uh, anymore at all, but back then, my, yeah, back then my young, impressionable, I don't know, collect yourself. I thought that was pretty cool. It was something you haven't seen before, you know. Mm-hmm. I grew up during the set, during the eighties with, um, I don't know, you know, the burn style, much more rounded kind of style, a lot of generic. I don't know. I say it now, but Marvel seemed to have a lot of sort of generic pencils back during the eighties. I miss those guys. Yeah. On one hand, it's kind of nice to have a house style, but on the other hand. You know, that's why the image guys seemed so, that's why they were so popular, that they were just... But but when you look back at it, it was now, it's all style and it's no substance, where the guys they had before that, you would see they were pretty stylish, but they got the job done and they told the story. So I think I would go for the guys they replaced instead of the image guys. Except for Eric Larson. That man can do no wrong. (laughs) Dave Wachter. We bumped into our buddy... Tony, also known as Doombot, who's uh, who's been on the show in the past, and it was we, we Vince and I hadn't seen him since uh, was it November back at CGS 200. He just wanted to let us know that um, he was listening to uh, episode 22, the latest episode when we talk about Civil War number seven, and he says that I'll be happy to know that thought balloons are alive and well in Mighty Avengers number one. Yep. Yep. And so I can't wait to read that. Regardless, even with the. Uh, Frank Cho artwork. Uh, he also says Cap 25 was sold out at my LCS before I could get a copy. And there were some good reads this week. I think post-Civil War Marvel is going to be more interesting than Civil War itself. Great episode. Scott Cedarland's a good guest. Bring back the giant-sized episodes. And that seems to be that last comment. We heard quite a bit yeah. at the convention. Almost everybody that came up to the table, Vince asked 
point blank. You listen to the show? Okay, great. Do you really like the long episodes, or do you or like Miguel shorter? crazy? No. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of why I did it, too, just to piss yeah. him off. But, <laughs> yeah, most of the people did say I like the long ones. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I I think I these are... I don't mind doing them. I just... I, I think the people that do like them realize that there's a pause button on their MP3 player or on the computer that they're on, on the player that they're using on their computer to listen to the episode so they can go back to it later but in in the in the defense of the people that don't like the long ones i can understand it's a pain in the ass to download 100 plus megs you know when they get really really big but um you're right there's also so much time in the day i definitely see both sides of the coin there so uh, you want to read one more let me see what i got here yeah i got i have, I have about three more but we'll let's just read one more so the whole show is not all listener email. Okay. This is from Thunderhead Jones. He's on hey, our... Hey, Chad. Yeah. He says, Hi, Vince. I just wanted to introduce myself to you. My name's Chad. Thunderhead Jones on the boards. I just wanted to say how much I love the podcast. It's not only very entertaining, but it brings back so many memories of Marvel when I was growing up. I'm 41 now, and it's nice to hear such great insight on comics I read back then. I'm also a huge Fantastic Four fan. My first issue was FF number 90 from a stack of comics my aunt gave me to draw from because I loved drawing the thing back then. I live here in North Carolina with my long-suffering wife and 16-month-old son who I'm trying to get hooked on comics as well. I also really appreciate all the props you and David give to the inkers, colorists, and letterers. That's class, man. Everyone on the forums and in general are all very nice people. Well, you know, he mustn't know Miguel then. Uh... <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing, and I thank Comic Space for me discovering your show. I've oh. been, I've been, yeah. How about that? It does that's work. Cool. Yeah. So thank you, Chad. Uh, that's cool, and we appreciate your comments. And another FF fan is not a bad thing. Not at all. Especially, yeah, if, we got plenty of them. On the yeah, floor. especially a 41 year old one. I don't feel so old now, but I am. You don't have to feel. I mean, you look it, but you don't have to feel. <laughs> Hi guys, it's Joseph IV, the uh, the guy calling from Australia who did get his phone card recharged. And I want to say, you know, that I know this is a trap, you know, because you guys are just way too nice. I mean, I mean, at first I wasn't too wary. I came on barging into the forum and left right into your current show forum without even having the decency to go into the introduce yourself thread and you know tell some story about how when I was a kid I used to trace Sue Richards' outline in the How to Draw Comics Marvel Way book and then fill her in naked. No, I, I just leapt right into the current show thread and just called you guys a bunch of girly men for tap dancing around Frontline 11. But instead of going for my throat like, you know, Logan going after some illegally imported Cuban cigars, you were, you were nice. You were friendly and inviting. I mean, David even stepped right up and admitted to being woefully and shamefully unprepared for the show because he didn't read Frontline 11. But even then I didn't suspect this was a trap. I would go so far as to say that even after I blatantly advertised my own blog and my signature, you still didn't come after me like Tony Stark going after some babe in the Marvel Universe. How many women are we supposed to believe he's slept with now anyway? Is he overcompensating for something? Uh, anyway, so uh, even then I didn't suspect you. But then you complimented my wedding pictures, so you know that's why. I never would have connected it to you. 
Nothing about it said gangster until this. It was a nice piece of work, Kingpin. You shouldn't have signed it. So honestly, was that too far to go for a Frank Miller Daredevil reference? Anyway, I go and post on the introductory thread and tell my toward little details of my history of the Marvel Universe. Talk to you guys later. Bye. So let's talk about the con a little bit. Oh, right. Yeah, there was that thing a couple weeks ago. I mean, obviously, there were definite highlights. I mean, like meeting and talking to Mr. Alex Savick, to introducing ourselves finally since we talked to him months ago, to Tommy Lee Edwards and meeting John Paul Leone, um, talking to Michael Golden. I mean, they were... Uh, Thursday night, it was great just catching up with everybody because, well, the four of us went to uh, went to the TikTok diner, the restaurant attached to the hotel, and uh, just chatted a bit. Actually, we, we, uh, we had a great idea because... Ray Park came in, who apparently was a guest of the um, of the convention. He uh, he was at the diner as well, talking, well, having dinner with a friend of his. And um, that's that Ghostbusters guy, isn't it? No, no, that's <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's that's Ray Parker Jr. You mean the Huey Lewis thief? Um, <laughs> yeah, he he was talking to somebody, and then it it was brought up that um, you know he, he's he's tapped to be. Iron Fist in the eventual Iron Fist movie whenever that materializes and um, and we had the great idea of teaming up Ray Park as Iron Fist with Gary Coleman as Luke Cage we thought that would have been a great buddy comic book movie but uh, after we after we had dinner and I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit but Friday morning um, I'm getting dressed and Dave's waking up off the floor and, and Pat's getting out of bed so he can hop into the shower and I guess Pat must have twisted around during the night and where where he where he, where he laid his head in the evening where that's where his feet were in the morning. But we had the window open, so it was nice and cool. So I guess his head just needed to in any case. Um I looked down and and from between the sheets of, of Pat's bed was a uh on the floor was a used condom. Yes. Yeah, that was. Uh, I was getting up. I was up, and I just uh, David is dressed and everything. But he goes, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> and he's like pointing. He's looking at something that's between the two beds, and I slept on the other side of the floor. And I start to look over, and it's sort of like a movie when the camera pans. You know, like the corner of the bed was moving back. More of the floor was slowly being revealed, and then I just saw the edge of it, and I was, yeah. <laughs> See, I miss, I miss everything. Sick. I would have killed to be there. See, I, <laughs> oh, no, because you would have been lying in between the beds or something, and you would have probably that puppy off your cheek. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I live for I live for incidents like that. That it would have been so neat to see that. Because you know what I mean. <laughs> Because you, you you can't plan for something like that. That's the real oh, world. No. no, really, that's the real world. You know, licking its finger and sticking it in your ear. Look at this. You got You got to pay attention. There's a used condom on the floor. I would have loved it, but <laughs> I didn't get there till uh, Friday morning, so I missed all the good stuff as usual. Hey, but <sighs> you can't get an STD from a finger in your ear. Well, <laughs> it 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 depends where the finger was stuck first. Well, maybe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Creative organism designated. Razor beam.
proceed. Massive amounts of irony and facetiousness at our bullpen booth. Who's the guy that I spoke to on the phone last week? Fraser Irving. That would be this guy. Oh, right here. Nice to meet you. Look at you. How are you? Yeah. Fraser Irving I'm stopped okay. by to say hello. That's right. And you awesome. came all the way over too. Yeah, but it's been a holiday. Oh, all right. I'm David Price. I'm the other host. Nice, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. We're live right now. Really? Yes. Well, we, well, we and, we, be, and we didn't publish the interview yet, so this will be cool. We'll get a book yeah, in. It will. Next episode, you're on. Oh, hello. That's right. How you again? I'm uh, hanging out with uh, my buddy Ray Forks, who used to write Nemo Vol for Vertigo, and Fiona Staples, who did uh, uh, Done to Death for Marcosia. So, like, I'm trying to like, kind of. I'm trying to kind of make myself feel better by hanging out with people who are trying to still get in the business. There you go. But, uh, <laughs> but then again, they're, they're vastly talented, and you know, what can I say? It feels really weird talking into your fat, to your hands. You know? <laughs> Because, because, because my name is Podcast. I know. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Podcast. Um, I guess so. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, the girlfriend wants some money. So I have Don't to they always? This is a. There you go. Just like, I've just given her a reward of $8,000 bills. Because that's the kind of money we make in comics, apparently. As I've noticed, uh, if you go downstairs to the original art tables, I see paintings going for like $10,000. I do all my work on di uh, the computer now, so I don't make jack, you know what I mean? So, uh, we have to sell the monitor. Uh, okay, I thought the idea of like selling prints would be a good idea, but then again, that's the amount of hard work that entails. It'd be better off me just drawing comics. Um, talking of which, uh, I should have promoted my book Gutsville, which I'm going to give you a postcard for, which comes out in May, because uh, apart from doing stuff for Marvel, uh, and possibly DC later on in the year, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to do image as well, just because, you know, uh, there's a, it's, I think it's good for the creative soul to kind of do work for hire. Yeah. You know, that keeps you lean, that keeps you mean, it's like working in the army. And then you do your self-published book, or the can create your own book, right. like for image. And that's like, you know, that's like going to a monastery, you know. Expanding your mind, like, trying new things out. That's right. Um, I must get your autograph. Oh yeah, no problem, man. Uh, oh, how much for a sketch? Uh, I don't, I don't charge for sketches, so I'll see if I do. I can do a Harry and the Witch Boy. Oh, but I don't have any pens on me, so... I have a sketch. Uh, oh, there's a lot right here. We have one right here. Alright, cool. Dean uh, Collins, Howard the Duck, if you want to... There we go. Alright. I'll do a Harry and the Witch Boy. And... Uh, do you have a pencil? Yes. Just... In case I make a mistake. See, the, I'm, I'm so used to drawing with the computer now. If I make a mistake, I hit Control Z and it's done. And uh, I did a signing at Marvel, the Marvel booth on um, Friday night. And it was a nightmare because uh, I would draw an ear in the wrong place and I just had to leave it there. And no one minded, you know, they were like, thanks, I got a sketch. But uh, I'm looking at it thinking, Jesus, this, this reflects so badly on me. But, um, and now I'm drawing his nose too long. Uh, oh, more open eyes. Yeah, when I'm, when I'm sketching, I don't seem to talk much. I'm, I'm trying to, like, fill in some nonsense whilst I'm doing the drawing. Jeez. And I don't draw very well with Sharpies either.
I'm trying to um, get a, another Clarion book going. The DC. Mm-hmm. Um, only problem with that is that obviously if there's no Grant Morrison attached to it, it's going to have to rely purely on my name. Uh, and um, that's kind of what the editors have said to me, because that'll be fine. But then that means I've actually got to find a writer to actually come up with a story, which is quite good. Um, doing that is tricky, because every writer's got their own idea of what this character should be, as do I. Mm-hmm. You know, I I'd like to think that if I could choose, I would choose a story and then pitch it to the editor. But I don't know how that's going to go, man. I only get to come out to America twice a year. That's the only time I get to talk to these people. Um, right. And I should point out, um, I don't know whether I mentioned this in the interview, um, if anyone ever references my name, it's Fraser, like laser. Fraser. Fraser. Oh, okay. I, I, I've been walking around here. The only person in the entire business who actually gets my name correct is an editor called Aubrey Citizen from Marvel. Yes. Yeah. Aubrey knows how to pronounce my name. Fraser. Yeah. And everyone else is kind of like Fraser. Fraser. Yeah. yeah. We are stupid Americans, though. No, it's, yeah. like a, it's the TV show. Man. It's the TV <laughs> yes. show. The TV show is like so kind of dominating. It's like anyone called Fraser. Thank you very much. Right, uh, if you want something, I am, I am just, yes. I'm loving the Very, uh, very good meal. Look at that. That's amazing. That is, that's great. It's like real good. I should give you something else. Yeah. Uh, Black Bolt. Um, oh, uh, I did Black Bolt. Okay. I was doing Black Bolt. Ooh, uh, I was there doing Black Bolt on a Friday. Are you filming that? No, I'm not. I'm okay. Oh, right, so if you will, I was going to put the hat on. So everyone will be able to see my one feet back. He, he, he needs the hat. Yeah, the hair's going, but uh, also, every convention I go to... You can put the hat on. Every convention I go to, I wear a different hat, so everyone recognises me from the hat. I would have been taking pictures of it and put it on the website for everybody to see. You know what I mean? It would have been great. But it would have been a new corner image on the website. Yeah. There we go. Oh, and Dave introduced. Yeah. There, there we go. Dave introduced his impression of me at the uh, con. And and Dave, why don't you do that for everybody? <laughs> okay, here it comes. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> it's a stunning likeness. It's really, it really is. <laughs> I, I I guess I do that a lot. <laughs> and and he did a beautiful impression of me, only because. You probably already got a, a taste of it earlier when we were talking about Captain America and Superman, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure I really didn't get to the point on that one either. But uh, we, um, well, mine of you is just no good, though. It's no good. <laughs> well, you don't have the voice down, but you definitely have the mannerisms, which I think is all that matters. Because yeah. because Braxton does the same thing. Braxton doesn't sound any different from Spider-Man, the Cyclops, to Iceman, but they're all great. Um, <laughs> and that and speaking of, we did miss Braxton. Actually, Braxton missed Dale Arden. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Melody she, Anderson was there. She was looking pretty hot, too. She, and she must be at least 50. I would think. Yeah. She's definitely she's definitely late 40s, I think, or mid to late 40s. Mm, mommy, look at that. Um, <laughs> I, I walked by the table, and normally when I walk by an attractive woman, I look at the woman. And, you know, I mean, it's human nature. Well, it's my nature anyway. So I'm walking by, and the only thing I could think of is Braxton, you know, because it was Dale Arden. I'm thinking, damn, you get out of my head. I yeah, want to look. Therapy. 
Somebody else that we did definitely miss, though, and and it was completely understandable based on uh, based on family circumstances. But we did miss Dan C. Yeah, that paper cut was definitely missed. Quite unfortunate, but we will hang with him in Chicago. Damn Skippy. Yep. And I thought, based on the other podcasts and the location where their booths were situated, we had the best spot in the house. And oh, I think so. On the right-hand side, we had Mr. Popcult Online himself. Rick Gordon? Yeah, Mr. Rick Gordon was next to us. On the other side, we had With the... family in tow. Oh, those kids. I love them. And, and on the other side, we had the Around Comics guys. It was like one big friend sandwich. With a little bit of, uh, you know, Tom's special sauce on it. But it was cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, across from us was the CGS guys and Indie Spinner Rack. Well, they were down a little bit farther. But uh, almost directly across from us was the Raging Bullets guys. Yeah. yeah. Sean and Jim. So y- there was some, some finger throwing and, and name calling. But it was, it was all in, in good fun. And uh, Ian from Comic Tommy with Matt right. S. who got Matt the, S. Yeah. And Matt S. stayed with us. And that's and and going back to the hotel, it, it, I guess things happen for a reason because there was no way we were going to fit everybody in the hotel room we were in initially. Um, <laughs> See, it was cramped just with me, Pat and Dave. It the, was cramped just with me. The condom was a blessing. It was a it blessing. Really was. It was like manna from heaven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I think it needs. I think it needs to be said. <laughs> Sticky, gooey manna, but that, um, <laughs> and housekeeping was there. And I think she started cleaning up, but she hadn't gotten to <laughs> the condom yet. Wouldn't that be one of the first things you're going to get rid of? Maybe they don't have a code for condom alert. <laughs> it's like I was waiting for a little yellow tape to be put around it, just like, you know, do not cross. We're here with Sean and Jim from Raging Bullets, our buddies. How'd it go for you guys? This, this was absolutely wonderful, especially seeing you guys again and just being able to hang out with all the podcasters, the listeners. Just a great community. This was a very fun con. It was, and that was, I mean, I could eat this one up. It, the creators were so generous to all of us, popping around, saying hello, and it just, I, I'm gushing right now because it was a lot of fun. Hey, got to meet Gail Simone, so I was really pumped about that. That was just a really cool person, and her husband's a great guy, and actually got a picture with her, so I'm... Yeah, a little bit of a fanboy geek out moment for me, so it's kind of cool. And it was great seeing you guys again too. We got to stay tuned for the Raging Bullets bullpen bulletin special coming up soon. This is long overdue. We've been talking about this since this all started, and it's about time that we finally get together and do something. You guys are doing a fantastic job. I'm enjoying your podcast and looking forward to doing something with you guys. Likewise. Even though you talk about DC books, I still listen. You know, I learn a lot. You guys are really good at what you do. And you're usually right. I mean, even though you're talking about, you know, DC books, I got... No, I, I, I love all comics, but if you are a fan of DC comics and you don't listen to Raging Bullets... Subscribe. It's just amazing, amazing work. You know, and technically with Indie Spinner Rack, the three of us are covering all of comics. So it's really great. That's the great thing about this community. We're all doing something to participate in the comics. So, Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Jim. Good talking. Do you have anything else to say? How's it going, eh? <laughs> Very good. All right. Hey, the water balloon should be coming over soon. So I'll tell you when to duck. We'll see you. Uh, we said oh, that. Uh, yeah. well, it said that that Peter David was the shuttle bus driver to the uh, to the convention. He did look just like him. 
and we we met um, we met Miguel Migs thirteen on our forum. Yeah, he was cool. With 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 Mini Mean Miguel, um, and we of course met Miguel Montenegro face to face finally after talking with him and Miguel George and Miguel, Miguel Rodriguez and Miguel Miguel our Miguel, yeah, who was exactly like I pictured him. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. M- Miguel has a work ethic that I can only hope to have. Uh, we'd be sitting there at the table and just, you know, talking amongst ourselves and, and having fun and occasionally handing out a business card. And Miguel would tell me, get out there. Go, go, go. Get yourself out there and hand out business cards. So I, I took it upon, you know, myself. I just kept handing out business cards. And then when I did that, he wanted me to do something else. Like, let's go get an interview. And, and he has the right idea because I'm way too laid back for my own good. You know, when I'm at a convention, I, I, it's like everything's shiny. I, I sit there and just <laughs> everything, just all the people and the funny costumes. And I, when I saw Lilu walk by, I mean, that was pretty much it. I just got all distracted. And I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and, um, you know, so, yeah, he, and he, we need that little push. And, and Miguel is the one to do it. But uh, well, this that, was the, uh, the first time for you guys behind the table, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. A little and, bit different, isn't it? You're a seasoned uh, pro of, of being behind the table, you were you had a little a booth at, at Chicago too when I first met you. And you were doing your thing. Yeah, yeah. This actually this was going to be my first big con that I was not uh, behind a table. That I was just that I wasn't exhibiting. That I was just attending. But, uh, we ch- that changed. Yeah, we changed that. And I mean, what else? You'd, you'd go spend your money on useless stuff. Do some and art. I didn't have any money, so I wouldn't have been doing anything. So there you go. <laughs> I'd be hanging out on the. Uh, that pavilion area, just uh, trying to get, you know, trying to drum up money for beers, <laughs> dancing for people. <laughs> Me and Fatican Skywalker could uh, That's right, baby. get into a fight for money. Winner gets uh, the unattractive white queen. <laughs> oh, no. That's not the winner. <laughs> I, I think you she had, had. You had a white queen and a Zatanna. That, yeah. Uh, I, I think the white queen was packing some sausage. <laughs> well, I've seen. I tell you what, I've seen. Is that I've seen worse. Yeah, I've seen I, Wizard World Chicago with the uh, the Robin with the dyed green tidy whitey. And uh, while we're on from my face, <laughs> while we're on the subject, how about the North Star? North Star needed a cup. Yes, he did. He <laughs> uh, could have been a Dixie, but he still needed a cup. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the best costumes that I've I saw for the whole weekend were these little kids, the little kid dressed as Thor, Thor and Captain America and Iron Man. Oh, they were awesome! And then one didn't Rick say uh, to Captain America and Iron Man, "Come on, pretend you're fighting," and uh, he he took pictures of them. So th- th- those kids were so cute. But yeah, there was a lot a lot of costumes. Zatanna was pretty hot once she got the stockings on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was going to ask her if I could have some pineapple with that cottage cheese. Oh, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> let's. Oh, We're here at the New York Comic Con, and Domino Blue showed up. Hey. How are you? All right. So, what'd you buy today? Uh, 
well, let's see. I bought some Supreme Power, some Walking Dead, uh, Jack Kirby's Visionary. Uh, I bought all four Seven Soldiers. Uh, that's all great books. Uh, I bought some Best of Spider-Man. I think Zop, Spider-Man Family. Uh, lots of... I'm not looking at... Uh, oh, The Incredible Hulk Volume 1, the Bruce Jones one. Excellent. Dogs of War, the Hulk 2 again. Uh, well, five bucks. I picked up the Dogs of War for five bucks. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, you can't beat oh, it. And Omega the Unknown... Oh, wait till you read that. You are going to love it. What is it? The collected edition? Yeah. Oh, man. That's great stuff. Great stuff. And here's David. Hi. And David showed up after four hours. Yeah, that's very nice. But uh, today it's Saturday, and there's a lot more traffic than yesterday. People are just streaming by, That's right. ignoring us right and left. Yep. So we're getting a lot. We're getting ignored a lot yet. I'm getting winks. Because you're pretty. Pretty. Yes. We got Captain Cold across the way at the DC uh, Raging Bullets booth. I don't know who those guys are, but. They, they seem all right. That's a podcast. Yeah, some kind of... They talk about, I guess, comics or something. Then. What are you doing here? It's a Sonny's podcast. Some man just accosted us. He grabbed me a little bit. But the, I'll let him get away with it. Because he's pretty. There's a lot of pretty people here. There's also a lot of very not pretty people here. And this, there's a couple of different smells occasionally that waft up. That, no, I'm going to use that. The smells are not very good. You get in front of your face and you lose it. That's me. I just think... Behave. Or just some idiot give a stack of books to John Bogdanov to sign. I wanted a damn sketch by the guy. I was going to see how much, you know, he could he could scribble power pack to force him real quick, but he's charging, I think, 25 for a head sketch, and Joe Statton's charging 30 I think for a, I think for a, a Joe Statton Green Lantern, that might be worth it. And Golden was looking at an inter, uh, look, was reviewing a portfolio, and Rubenstein was selling original art. So I haven't been able. To, and Brigman, Brigman has a really nice team image of Power Pack. June Brigman is one of the co-creators, and she it's hundred bucks. Hundred dollars, and Gene's great looking. But she's right now. She's doing. Uh, she's working on uh, Brenda Stark every day. Famous newspaper strip. And Gene Colan is charging 150 bucks for a drawing, which, when you think about it, is really worth it because where are you going to get a drawing from one of the founding fathers of the Marvel Universe for 150 bucks? It ain't happening. He signed a Daredevil for me. He signed an old Daredevil, and he gave me a quick little uh, Howard the Duck sketch. And we donated to Hero at the Around Comics booth, and David got what he said. I got a Howard the Duck myself. Great stuff. Tom Caters, working the floor. Hey, Tom, tell us about your experience with talking with Carmine Infantino. Uh, he was great. He referenced the fact that um, people would think that we were homosexuals by the way he was holding me walking through the crowd. <laughs> Nowhere else but from Tom Caters can you hear stuff like that. About what? Yeah, he said, uh, he said when I said, you know they replaced the Flash again, and he was like, ugh, shouldn't have killed Barry. It made no sense. Nice. Oh, I feel vindicated. Can't beat that. So we're on the scene. There is a lot of traffic now. Excitement. 
I wish some of the, the traffic would come over to our booth, but yeah, there's a lot of traffic. I think we needed a semi-naked booth, babe. This is Miguel taking over. It's pretty much my first con, and right about now, I want to kill myself. No, it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. It's cool to meet um, Vince and David in person, though. Vince is cuter than I, I thought he would be, and David's just butt ugly. I mean, come on. It's so good, and he has the good for... Oh, that's Vince, too. All right. Okay, it doesn't matter. I mean, he, he knows stuff, and he's good to have around when he wants a good laugh or something. Yes, yes, he is. You listen to that? That's Mr. David Price. I didn't press anything. I didn't press anything. I'm giving him. I think it's brave that you guys are all wearing speedos yeah. in this con. Oh, yeah. I'm unshaven too, so I'm experience. <laughs> Dave Wachter's dressed up like a Bib Fortuna. It's like I have a cat in the utility belt. Jabba Nobada. He no Jedi. He no Jedi. Wrap your mind around that. Oh, you yeah. Haters, right? oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Domino Blue. Hey, nice to meet you. Uh, this is gold. This is great. This is podcast gold. This is soft gold. Yeah. You can't buy this kind of entertainment, uh, folks. That's, that's why, like why we hours. give it away. Now it was that's a 10-hour episode. Let's talk about Artist Alley for a bit, because I thought Artist Alley was really special this year. I know Dave loved it with all the retailers. Yeah, that was interesting. When we were walking through that first time we go through, and it's like, oh, Artist Alley, let's see who's here. Oh, that's a retailer. What's he doing here? Look, there's another one. I guess they ran out of room or something for the retailer, so they stuffed him in an Artist Alley. And, you know, I know some people who tried to get tables for Artist Alley and were sold out. It's like, well, yeah, because there's a retailer sitting there. Yeah, that's not good. No, but that's, uh, the caliber of talent, though, was really exceptional. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jim Shooter, who is a really big man. I, I, I'd never met him in, in real life, and that guy is huge. And we tried to chase him down for an interview, but not only is he huge, he's incredibly fast. He's got some, and, he's got some long strides. And it, very elusive because I couldn't, I couldn't get across to him and, you know, try as I might, he escaped. But uh, like David said, Tommy Lee Edwards, John Paul Leon, all the Boulevard guys, Walt Simonson. Just sitting there, drawing up a storm. God bless him. And Joe Statton was there. Mr. E-Man. He's really cool. Mr. Green Lantern. Um, E-Man. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Showing your age, dude. I I saw Joseph Rubenstein. You had um, Bob Layton, John Bogdanov. Oh, yeah. um, Fred Van Lente. Oh, yeah. Mr. Neil Adams, who, out of everybody, had actually a hollow table to... Yeah, that wasn't funny. Growing <laughs> <laughs> inside. I I bet you I bet you if if Tomcat told that it would be funny. See, I, I, the, the the delivery's all off. No, I, <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, what the hell's he talking about? Oh, that's right. I get it. That was good. That was crazy. But uh, Simone Bianchi was there. One of my favorites, Alex Savick. And the caliber of, of guests that Around Comics had at their, their little uh, table was really amazing. Well, first, congratulations to them for generating the, uh, the amount of money that they did. It was for a great cause, so it was done. 
was all for good deeds, and uh, and and I'm glad that uh, we were close enough. We were to see all of it happen, and it, and and Carmine Infantino. Holy crap! I, I mean, after that, what more do you need? But they they had more. They had Gene Colon and Mike Norton was there. Mr. DC and, exclusive Mike Norton. Yeah, we lost a good one. You know, uh, you you have to wonder if they only gave him runaways. He. When when Alfona when he did those after he did those two Alfonas or three I think those filling issues if right. they they gave him Runaways oh they would have had something but uh, I, I hope he he's happy where he's at and uh, I wish him success I'm sure he's going to have it because the guy's just great and tall yeah he is and he lost some weight too he's looking good looking looking svelte yeah he's the new slimline version. <laughs> Um, Naruto. Should have, should have seen this at Nano without the fishnets. Really? Where is she? Oh, I, I should. something by a bowling Oh, okay. This is called Make Fun of People at the Convention as they pass by. <laughs> we miss you for Oh. I see a couple of mullets all over the place. Mullets. Party in the party. Oh, coming back to bed. Here we go. Hi, this is Maxim Glory from the Pop Cult Online, the podcast dedicated to the 10-year-old and all of us. Listen to me, not Vince. Listen to the man. He's bigger than me. So they're going to finish this first. He's, he's got arms twice the size of mine, so listen to him. He, he gave me a hug when he saw me. I swear to God, he cracked my spine. I kind of liked it, but still, it hurt a little bit. Who's a more, who's more manly of a hug, Rick or Sal? Yeah, they were both fine. Wow. So, um, I see, I see boobies and my train of thought just goes... Well, we did do some uh, some shopping on the floor Saturday. We were able to sneak away from the table, and uh, we did some perusing. Yeah, not and, that many um, goodbyes this year. No, I'm sorry. That was Friday, because Friday I also got my copy of uh, Daredevil number 54 signed by Gene. And uh, you were rifling through those same, uh, same boxes as I was. Yeah, there was... Uh retailer there who had Silver Age books in really, really, really good condition in Mylar, by the way, for five bucks a pop. So I'm thumbing through them, and I had a lot of them, you know, because I'm old. And there was one book back in the day that I never managed to get my hands on. I It was always one of those cases like when I did see it, I wasn't in the mood to buy it because it was relatively expensive at the time. And then I didn't see it for a lot of years, and then it, I, we just never crossed paths. But the guy had a copy of Howard the Duck number one for five bucks. In it's it's mint. It might as well be. So I bought that, and while we were walking around, who did we see? Frank Bruner. So he he signed my cover. He ruined my book. <laughs> but but it's a it's a beautiful mess and so now i finally have a copy of howard the duck number one i have all the other ones it's just number one i don't know why i never had it so uh he's number ones are overrated i mean back in the day they were going for big bucks yeah huge amounts of money and then well that's because marvel intentionally shorted the newsstands on their on their uh the distribution was really spotty on Howard the Duck number one. So that's why it was valuable at the time. And then it wasn't your typical Marvel book. So interest was high. But I never had one and now I do. So I'm all happy. 
and if you if in my opinion if you're talking peak of marvel it's howard the duck yeah steve Could gerber that be the uh flagship title no, because we all know no, that the flagship that's... is Spider-Man, so Spider-Man. you have to go there. Well, I'm doing the editing, so none oh. of it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we were walking around, and like I said, not too many goodbyes, but David managed to snag a nice chunk of uh, Captain America, the, the original run, for 75 cents a piece. Starting around issue 256 up to like um, 280-something, a couple couple issues missing here and there but pretty much the um the Mike Zek run um some written by J.M. Demetrius and then a couple of issues of um Fantastic Four from the Burn run starting with Assistant Editor's Month and the Trial of Reed Richards and I picked up uh, the majority of the Nascenti and Ramita Jr. run from Daredevil mm, that is yeah. good I, stuff yeah I like those a lot and and out of out of those three titles, the ones that uh, the ones that I didn't read too much of at the time when they were coming out were the Daredevil ones. I kind of um, I kind of dropped Daredevil after um, after Mazzucchelli left the title, so it was um, I know I know, but um, actually I picked up a bunch of uh, Assistant Editors Month titles, so be on the uh, be on the lookout for a future spotlight on the assistant editors month that was a fun time i love that and it really says a lot about the production of comic books when your readership knows what an assistant editor is (laughs) most people couldn't care less if you have an assistant editor on a novel nobody cares but the, the marvel people actually had personalities that they injected into the book and it was really neat to have this off-kilter month where anything was possible. You had David Letterman in the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man, Frank Richard, Franklin Richards and uh, Marvel team up. Mm-hmm. Against who? Against Galactus. <laughs> That's right. As, or as, as Pat Laika would say, I'm a Galactus bitch! <laughs> <laughs> um, you're right, David Letterman. You had... Uh, the kid who collects Spider-Man, an amazing Spider-Man. I mean, not all of the um, Marvel comics that month had the Assistant Editor's Month uh, stamp on the cover, but um, and not all of them were humorous stories. Like the kid who collects Spider-Man is anything but funny. Right. Um, but Aunt May as Galactus's latest Herald, Golden Oldie, fighting off his hunger with Twinkies. That's not exactly something on the serious tip. Make a good movie of the week, though. Yeah, well, especially on Lifetime. Yeah. So um, it's a strong woman, strong, powerful woman. Well, until she gets shot in the gut. But you, um, you have uh, well, nice. <laughs> what? <laughs> no spoiler warning Spoilers. at all. Um, oh please! They'll, if they haven't read the issue yet, then they don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So. Um, <laughs> You know, because Uncle Ben got shot too. She could have been strong up until he got shot. I'm just saying. So we we did we we, we did the perusing around and 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 looked for some bargains. And as as far as shopping, I think it was a much stronger experience at Wizard World Chicago last August. Definitely. I we we both left with a bookload of crap at the uh, at, at at the Chicago Con and and here not so much and and. Even if th- there wasn't even really a lot that I'd be, that I said that ooh, 
I have to get that. I'm not yeah. leaving here without that. I mean, there is just, I mean, yeah, looking through the back issues were great, and I would have loved to have taken even some more of those, but... Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I went home with 20 comics from New, from New York. No, it's hardly anything. I mean, I bought, uh, I filled in my holes from the Joe Casey Ladron cable run. Okay. I got Dogs of War, the Hulk, the Paul Jenkins Hulk trade for five bucks. And okay. I got an Extreme X-Men trade for five bucks. And after reading it, I think I paid too much. Oh, damn. Yeah. The arts, That's a sign of a good comic. The art's kind of nice. Uh, Salvador La Roca was nearing the top of his game at that time, but Claremont, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, when you zone out after three pages and you have to go back and reread them, there's something wrong. Yeah. So yeah, not, I don't consider that a bargain. But, um, <laughs> and, you know, I got Howard the Duck, and that's about it, really. As far as new stuff, I have a, a signed copy of In My Lifetime by Tony Fleece. But that was really the only new, even though it came out last summer, that was really the only thing that I bought that well, was either cover price or uh, or something that was put out recently. Although I did my, actually that's not true. I bought uh, Pride of Baghdad because I can only be hit over the head with the hints of you need to buy this so many times. I did buy and finish reading the first two Mark Wade and Barry Kitson Legion of Superheroes trades. Yeah, it's so, it's the only DC title I buy. And I can see why. I, I'm an old Legion fan of of the old Giffen and, and Malstead and, and, and Levitz and well, even some of the um, Grell issues. Um, I, don't, I don't remember reading too many of the Cockrum issues or even any of the stories that, that Shooter might have penned, but I've, I've always liked the Legion. I've always liked Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl and Cosmic Boy, and, and I, I, I like the original three founding members, and you know, I, I kind of got into it when you had, um, when you had, uh, I don't want to screw up his name, when you had Wildfire. But I remember reading Legion in the 80s and kind of, I didn't lose interest, but I mean, obviously the, their their history gets a little, well, as much as you can have history in the future, gets a little convoluted with the whole timelines and when Byrne revamped Superman and, well, Superboy ever remember, and then they had, you had the Legion and Legionnaires, two separate series, and which one was the actual group and can you can you hear the digital scissors <laughs> yes i can yes i can but i'm just i'm trying to get to this point okay go so, ahead because but it's just it it's um it is it, it was it was is legion for this day and age more or less which is i think how it, they were always a hundred years of the future of where we are now so to find out, to, to hear slang and terms and, and the type of characters that they're using in this series now are kind of relevant to what we're going through today as opposed to, you know, flipping through an issue of the Legion from the early 90s and, you know, they're right. still they're still talking or acting like they were back in the 60s and the 70s is, is kind of hokey. So, with, with the bell bottoms. With the bell bottoms and the big buckles. Um, and the corsets, don't forget about that. Uh, On the men. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you, Mike Rell. This is Donald Blue and the New York Comic Con. It was just amazing. It was an amazing place, amazing people, and one hell of an amazing line, apparently. I mean, that place had the longest line ever. So it was a nice 
it was nice to go up there with my dad and uncle from our New Jersey hotel. I enjoyed I enjoyed it immensely. For one thing, lots of comics, lots of good prices, and lots of people to see. I never actually see... Well, I never... I always wanted to see people in costumes. I mean it, in real life. I always hear about them, but I never actually see them. It was just getting such a kick out. Blue Beetle. There's this pretty hot Power Girl one, Electra, and also many people in, my, in costumes. My dad really had a thing for the Poison Ivy one, though. Eh, what can you do? Anyway, I had a great time there. And I got a lot of cool comics like X Factor, The Best of the Spirits, Supreme Power, Seven Soldiers of Victory. I intended to get that one. Also, the Jack Kirby Visionaries with the Galactus Trilogy. And this man, this monster, Sing Story, one of my favorite Fantastic Four stories. It also has, like, these cool pencils in the back where you can, like, see them, and they're just beautiful. Jack Kirby is amazing. Anyway, I had a great time. It was also cool seeing Miguel, Vince, David. I wish I could have talked to them a bit more. Anyway, I had a great time, too, and thanks for the sketch by David. What's his name? I forget. I got this really cool Spider-Man sketch by the guy who does scar tissue. I'm never good with names. Anyway, it was a great time. I had an awesome day. I had an awesome time. Even though it was only just for one day, I could only be there Saturday because, well, school obligations. If you guys are up in New York next time, then I would probably be there for three day, all three days. So I'll do, do that next year or whatever big comps coming up. Anyway, I have a blast. Everyone else did too. I guess all the Marvel stuff were all the back issues. I did buy some old Archies and and Betty and Veronica issues for Renee. That's that. That's pretty much it. Although Tony Doombot was nice enough to uh, give me the first issue of the Spider-Man Human Torch mini, written by Dan Slott, with a really neat Paul Smith cover. So I hope to read that. Which I'm going to hate him if I end up liking it because then I'm going to have to dig down the next four issues. Just buy the digest. But now I have the issue. Well, then you have both of them. Oh, Jesus. And speaking of Doombot, the money that that guy dumped on comics, Ooh. good God. He, I mean, he came up to the table, look what I got, and he had old Silver Age issues, like not cheap books. And then, I think it was Sunday. But now he has a complete run of Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, he bought the first issue for... Well, I don't want to say, but a lot more money than I would pay for it, considering right. that it's been reprinted so many times. And I'm happy for him. It's it's a great feeling when you have a complete run. And he, right. And it's not it's not like it's an old title, you know, but I mean there are over a hundred issues of it. It's 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 been out for a few years now, but I mean if if you were late getting into it, you know, Ultimate Spider Man I think is one of the only titles that still you still are not gonna be able to get like the first dozen or two dozen issues at an inexpensive price well worth it but if you i mean if it was up to me i would plunk the 35 dollars down on the deluxe hardcover that collects the first what is it 12 you know it's the first two trades right right so i mean good for him that he has the run and that's a special thing to have an entire run but i don't i don't see comics that way but that you don't but that's just me dave what did you buy 
I bought some uh, Chinese food one day. <laughs> Dave got me uh, into Bass Ale. Oh no! Tough, Too bitter. Yeah, I've never, never it's really been bitter. a big fan. What do you? What do you? What do you <laughs> bitter. I mean, what the hell? Well, he, he's bitter. He, it's like, what he, do you want? Sugar, sugar. He chases it with uh, with lemon. So I'll tell uh, you that that beer that we had at the uh, what was that place that we ate at Saturday Heartland night? Heartland Brewery. That orange tinged beer that I had that was really good. Yeah, they did have some good stuff. Tasted like they melted a popsicle in it. You didn't like it? It was okay. Not really uh, my kind of beer. Too sweet. Well, you know, maybe it was the condom I dumped in it that you didn't. I would have stuck my dick in the mashed potatoes. I do want to. Um, the party didn't end at the convention. I'll just say that. Tell the story about Pat and the snowflakes because that that's really cool. <laughs> Apparently, Pat's only seen snow. After it's fallen and after it's been on the ground for a few yeah. days, and it's that I've that, never seen a live snowfall. Right, because right. they don't have too much snow in San Diego. No, that's the thing. So or he grew up in the Philippines. So, damn it. So Sunday night, and I look outside and on the deck, there's snow accumulating. Pat, Pat was at his computer. He jumps up and runs to the deck. And he's looking, and he's, st- he's sticking his hand outside, like 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 he's catching snowflakes, and he has his camera with him. And it kept snowing all through the night. So Monday morning, I'm waking up because I'm taking Dave and Pat to the airport, and I'm clearing off the car. And Pat's just walking around outside, like as if he's he's a kid waiting to get the news as to whether or not school's open that day. <laughs> he's just standing out there, and- standing outside like Winona Ryder and Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> Just he was he was just looking up and his, but it was it, it was that that made it. I mean, between all of all of my highlights, everything that that I'll look back and think of fondly happened after hours, at, not not in the show proper. I mean, it was great meeting the people that we met, um, talking with Mark Sparaccio for a little bit, who we'll be we'll be talking to soon. Um, you know, I mean, but for for the most part, it was just. Is it was the stuff like after the convention, you know, dinner Saturday night, dinner Friday night, just is me, Dave, Sal, and 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 Vince crammed into a booth having dinner, and all the guys that were with us were in booths surrounding us, and yeah, you know, just it, it really was. It was it was like Chicago where I enjoyed the stuff that was going on afterwards. This was the same thing. It was just all the fun that I had, all 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 the. The memories I'll hold on to were didn't have anything to do with Friday night or Saturday between ten and eight and Sunday between ten and five. Everything was afterwards. Yeah, I like Lilu's ass the best, and then everything else. You well, know. that'll sum up Vince's convention <laughs> nicely. Lilu's ass. No, it, it was a lot of fun. We missed a lot. I think being behind the table, I would have loved to have a attended some of the panels like the the greg pack world war hulk thing or the cup of joe but we we didn't really have the time because we had to be pushing those business cards around and I, i'll tell you it's worth it was worth it because we we got a nice little kick in the pants as far as the numbers go but next time i think we should uh, go next time we'll but, have a game plan yeah well of course nothing's ever planned as far as this show goes <laughs> But uh, I think we should ease up a little bit on the 
pressing the flesh and just go and enjoy ourselves at some of the find out exactly what's going on in the world of comics instead of you know just passing out business cards it was fun but we need to uh need to branch out i think so overall i mean new york comic-con 2007 very positive experience um hell yeah look looking forward to 2008 2008 it's going to be in april so we won't have to fight the cold if you are a new listener because we harassed you at the show let us know send us an email pop up on the forum you can hop on the forum anytime and that's at uh, bullpenboltonspodcast.com which of course you'll know if you still have the business card which look great Vince I gotta tell you I love the business card yeah thank you it's what I do yeah and if no. if, uh, if you're one of those people who hasn't sent me the uh, scan yet I'm still waiting on you oh geez so, uh, well, it's, that's very important Gotta keep it is. Well, Got I'm, it. Surprised, I'm surprised nobody has. I, I know no, Tony. No, people have. I'm just waiting on a couple of people. Oh. Those sketches that I liked that I haven't, uh, that I can Bastards. hardly remember what they look like. Can they I know who they up. are. Yeah. Yeah, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, any last thoughts on the New York Comic Con? Um, well, I had a great time. Uh, it was my first time in New York, and... It's a fun little town you guys have got over there. You know, it was great, great hanging out, and I think it was a really good show. I hope they expand it so that there's a little more room uh, next year, because uh, I know Pat and I are looking to get a table. Excellent. So we would really like to be able to get a table in uh, in Artist Alley this year. Cool, so we year. can sit back there next year. Yeah, sure. Tell them where they can get a look at your stuff. Um... Uh, Oh, look at my stuff. No, um, yeah, okay, yeah, I mean, you can, my website is DaveJawsComics.com. Yeah. And I can't wait for, uh, Chicago. Chicago's gonna be a lot of fun. Any, uh, any conventions before Chicago you have your eyes on? Uh, yeah, I'll be in San Diego. Excellent. Um, Dial R Studios, we'll have, we'll have a booth there, so, uh, come check us out. So there you go. So why don't you join us next episode when we will be once again leafing through the Marvel previews catalogs. We've we've been uh, extremely lax. It's been far too long since yeah. we've done that. Well, things were happening. It's it's a good one to come back to because I was flipping through the Marvel previews this afternoon and I think we might have a couple of things to say about some of those Fallen Sun issues. Hell yeah. To say the least. So we'll see you next time. Thank you, David. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, guys. It'll be your personal. No, it doesn't. I, I should come up with a, a hero click theme song. Hero click, come get your fix. <laughs>